Hey everyone, welcome to episode 162 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hey Chris, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm excited to do our set review, talk about some of these Zendikar Rising cards. I, I am too, because I'm just scrolling through your lists right now in the first, you know, 15 seconds of the show, and there are some cards I was not expecting. <laughs> okay, good. I think I have solid explanations for most of my cards. They were certainly not picked at random. Uh, the way that we are doing this is Lee and I, for each color, have each picked out our own, like, personal top five, and we're going to kind of switch off who says their top five first, and we'll just share what cards overlap from our top fives, and you'll 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 get the hang of it as we go through it. Before we get into it, I want to thank our patrons. We really, really appreciate y'all's support. If you'd like to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Come hang out in the Discord, get some stuff sent to you, and get access to our monthly topic episodes, the first one of which went up a couple of days ago, and we will continue doing those. So, you know, sign up for the Patreon, tell your friends. It'll it'll be a great time. Come Come hang out in the Discord and talk about all of these sweet new cards with us. And the sweet new cards on the back of those sweet new cards. Yes, they are. <laughs> though those are kind of fundamental to understanding the power level of the cards. You wanna you wanna get into it? You wanna just yeah start? Let's just get into it. So I'll start with my top five for white. So my number five is Felidar Retreat. This is three and a white for an enchantment with landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, choose one. Create a 2-2 white cat beast creature token, or put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. Those creatures gain vigilance until end of turn. I just think this is a pretty powerful non-creature, non-planeswalker, like absolute threat card. As long as you are making land drops, it is giving you board presence or like really overwhelming the board presence that your opponent has in place. And we did see, you know, it was a while ago, but we did see Retreat to Ameria being not only a limited bomb but also see some amount of constructed play and this is just better than it on every axis it makes bigger tokens and it gives permanent pump and it gives your creatures vigilance so like i don't you can't really win a creature battle against this if your opponent is making land drops no and i i do not look forward to playing against this in limited i i also have this on my list but i i kind of view it as like a split between a Johnny Goldmane and Gideon Ally of Zendikar. The difference being, of course, the, the landfall trigger. Like, mm-hmm. with the Planeswalkers, you're guaranteed an activation every turn. Uh, with this one, you have to have a land drop, which can be yeah. a little tricky sometimes, especially since it's not like the old Zendikar sets where we have fetch lands all the time. Mm-hmm. That said, I still think it's really strong, uh, especially even in Constructed, where you could see sideboard play in a bunch of different white decks. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know exactly how, like, I'm not picturing exactly the deck that's really doing a good job of landfall and is white, but there are a lot of tools and we can play a lot of colors potentially, and this might just be powerful enough that you don't necessarily need to be a white weenie deck to do this. You know, it just, it's doing a lot of power and toughness for its cost, so. This is the card that more than any other card in the set makes me regret that they didn't just reprint or it makes me miss core sky fisher (laughs) (laughs) sure sure 
not only the you know half the lands of the set are spells so of course Skyfish would have been nice to begin with but yeah just to get that extra landfall value of like something like retreat to fill out our retreat pretty nice yeah yeah skyfisher would have been sweet for sure i i think we have very few ways to pick up our spell lands and that is a little bit it feels like a little bit of a miss to me but maybe that's on purpose to like keep your considerations from being too complicated during a game yeah i think it was something like if i were designing the set it's the first thing i would put in just ways Mm -hmm. to pick up your spell lands later in the game and i can imagine that being a little too strong especially you know it it, it cuts off the drawback of the lands right you can just play those lands early and then you pick them up and play with spells that's like kind of cheating sure yep yep so next on my list is at number four is Luminarch Aspirant. This is one and a white for a one one. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. I would be surprised if this cleric made your list. Uh, this is a card that you were down on. I think that it actually is quite strong. Baseline, it's a two drop that attacks as a three three and then has further upside from there. And it has synergies if you're doing any other plus one plus one counter stuff and it can put those plus one plus one counters on your you know your one drop so that plus one plus one counter has haste and i i wish that we had healers hawk still to put those counters onto but (laughs) i think that there will be stuff as if there are any white aggressive decks in the format which is a big if at this point but hope you know fingers crossed that we are allowed to do that if we are allowed to do that, I think this is a pretty big part of doing that. I, I can buy that. And no, it, it did not make my list. You won't see it when I read off my cards. <laughs> uh, sure. But it's just... Uh, it's very hard for me to imagine like a deck with the cards we have right now wanting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see it being a player moving forward, especially if there's some like really cool synergy card. Like If just yeah. something as simple as Walking Ballista were legal, I... I sign me up you know sure just something you can really easily do like if there's a card that triggers off of having uh some number of power like a lamb hole pacifist kind of thing i could see mm-hmm. that too uh, but when i was looking for that stuff in scryfall a lot of it just wasn't there sure and i don't know yeah. if i can buy it being good enough and just a straight up aggressive deck or if aggressive decks can exist right now i i think if an aggressive deck existed is good enough in just a straight up aggressive deck as as a two drop but that I think that is a big question. And the fact that it's not, like, tricksy, like a lot of the white cards I like in aggressive decks, it's it's mostly just a stat stick. Right, it doesn't get indestructible like the, what's its name from the last deck, from the last set. But it, it does get kind of tricksy because those plus one plus one counters can have flying or can have lifelink or whatever abilities are on your other creatures, can have haste if you have a creature already in play. Yeah, it certainly has applications, and I'm going to be looking for those as more mm-hmm. cards get printed because it's like a pretty modular card you can do a lot of with it i, I just... see what you did there uh-huh it's a pretty modular card well it's not literally a modular card but you, you can combine it with a bunch of different stuff just yes. like the arcbound creatures in dark steel <laughs> which combined really well with e- each other mostly yeah, pretty much uh, next on my list, I've got Skyclave Apparition. This is one white-white for a 2-2 core spirit. When it enters the battlefield, exile up to one target non-land, non-token permanent you don't control with converted mana cost four or less. 
And when it leaves the battlefield, the exiled card's owner creates an XX blue illusion creature token where X is the converted mana cost of the exiled card. This is just a super flexible, whether you're viling this in or, you know, it doesn't have flying, so it's not perfect in a spirits deck, but that is a fine creature type for some decks. And, you know, it gets rid of anything, at least for a couple of turns until they like spend a removal on this if they have it. And then the thing they get back, even if they do spend removal on this, is just a token that you probably, you certainly care about less than whatever Planeswalker or Enchantment or Creature you removed with this in the first place. And yeah, I, I think this is just a really powerful card. Yeah, I think this is a really good card. And I can't imagine this card having flying. That'd be so much. <laughs> right. <laughs> but kind of want to compare this to Fiend Hunter or Banisher Priest, which could only yeah. get creatures, but it was like similarly stouted. Uh, this one grabs a lower range of creatures. While it can still hit Uro, it can't hit like the big, big creatures because it's limited right. by converting mana cost four. If show and tell gets cast, you can't get an Emrakul with this. No, though, you know, kudos to you for not playing Palace Jailer. <laughs> <laughs> but like being able to nav uh, enchantments, like we we just lived through Wilderness Reclamation and Fires of Adventure. Those are on the list yeah. now. Uh, and being able to attack Planeswalkers, which they don't even get back when they shock your creature, is, I think, really, really strong. Yeah, that would have been a super nice tool to have had against Wilderness Reclamation, Fires of Invention, that sort of thing. Yeah, like, a lot of the times you're trying to deal with these permanents, most mostly enchantments and Planeswalkers. Th- cards like these are, like, your only way to interact with them. And when it's an Oblivion Ring, and they get rid of it, and they get the Planeswalker back, you're kind of in square one where you still have a really hard time dealing with it unless you draw another one. Right. Uh, this card sidesteps that by converting the card you can't really deal with into a creature which you are naturally going to be more capable of dealing with. Yeah, I like it a lot. You can even kind of combo two of these together if they manage to kill the first one. You can take out the big illusion if that ends up being a problem. No, <laughs> target, no non-land, thing. non-token permanent. Oh, it can't target tokens. Okay. I didn't... Right. Never mind. <laughs> yes. Next on my list, I've got Sejiri Shelter. And again, this seems like a card that would probably not make your list. But this is one and a white for an instant. Target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. And on the other side, it is a comes into play tap land that makes a white. Yeah, this isn't... It didn't end up on my list, but it was one of the cards I pulled out to be like, this is a card I like. Yeah. Because it's super flexible. It is. And it lets you play this effect in a deck that's not, like, dedicated to that, it's hard to fit Apostle's Blessings into a Constructed Magic the Gathering deck unless you are very specifically, like, stacking auras on something and you need to get it through and protect it or whatever. Like, then maybe you can find space for that. This, you can put into your white deck, you can put into your creature deck, and even when you don't play against a deck with removal spells, you can just play it as a land. When you need a land, you just play it as a land. <laughs> and I I think this card is going to see like quite a bit of play if white decks with creatures in them are good, which is, again, a big if. But this is a card of a power level that makes me want to do that and will be good in those decks. I, I agree. The This card's flexibility is what made me initially put it on my like scratch list mm-hmm. i ended up not finalizing with it because i was trying to figure out what decks i would be happy playing it in yeah and 
it, it was hard to do that for me. Like even in like a mono white deck, uh, where this seems to slot in like real pretty easily. There is some give and mm-hmm. take there. I'm not sure. Like these cards are all new. I'm not sure quite how to evaluate the counterplay tap land versus the the spell. Yeah, because they're both good, but you don't really want. You obviously don't want tap lands in your your white your aggressive deck. You want to cast this right. more often than not. But but your in, aggressive deck also maybe has like Felidar Retreat in it or something. You know, so like, yeah, it's that would be running twenty six lands. That is a cool point where you can like because these cards transform into lands or can be lands. Uh, even if they're not excellent, you, by playing cards like Felidar Retreat, mostly Felidar mm-hmm. Retreat, yeah, <laughs> you can like increase the value of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the flip side of my other point with the not being able to play it in creature decks as effectively without these kind of outlets like Felidar Retreat is that I couldn't see playing it in non-creature decks, like mid-range decks, yeah. like mid-range white decks. Coming to play tap lands are not as punishing there. But they're not really interested in that kind of effect most often. Because they're trying yeah. to just accrue value with their cards. And they're also not usually white these days. Well, because Omnath, the midrange. Huh? Yeah, I yeah, but you you're not really gonna be able to afford to put the city in a base <laughs> in your Omnath deck, probably. But like the mid-range decks these days are generally gonna be Uro decks. Uro decks don't really want to be white. They'd much rather be black and put cards into the graveyard. And so that doesn't really happen. But if there were a more mid-rangey deck that had, you know, if, if there were like some sort of like green-white mid-rangey deck that played Elgar, Elder Gargaroths in it, like that's a creature that you're happy to protect with Sajiri Shelter, you know? Yeah, like, that's true. But that deck is, you know, far away from existing right now, so. Yeah, we, we've got a bit more format developing to do before we can get over with that sort of thing. For sure. And my number one for white is Ameria's Call. This is four white, white, white for a sorcery. Create two, four, four white angel warrior creature tokens with flying. Non-angel creatures you control gain indestructible until your next turn. And on the flip side, it this is one of the mythic flip cards. So it is a land that makes white and you can bolt yourself to have it come into play untapped. Yeah, this card's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's really fantastic. You'll bolt yourself when it's worth it. You need the mana, and the mana is worth more than the three life. You'll play it as a land a lot of the time, and then later in the game, several of your lands that you could draw that would be dead draws are now two four fours, and yep. that's that's really good. And it randomly protects your team too, which can come up. Sure. Uh, the these mythic lands I think are all baseline very good because they get around the downside of the normal come to play tap stuff like yeah. you just play them as a land early and they don't have to come and play tapped and then late game when you have a bunch of lands their spell effects are very strong like i think all of the mythics are worth looking at a little bit this is really good like flood protection in you know the an aggressive deck is not really going to cast the seven that much but putting a couple of them in your deck is not that big of a cost especially if you are like a white deck and you feel good against the other aggressive decks naturally then this might just be a kind of free inclusion for you. And, and worst comes to worst, you put it in your sideboard to fill it retreat, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm a huge fan of this card. I, I don't know that a lot of games are going to come down to, like, oh, man, they had a Marius. You know, it's not like, yeah, they had Dreadhorde Arcanist on turn two. That card is unbeatable. Like, it's not that type of power level. 
but the flexibility and the way that you can just slot this into decks in slots that you would never be able to put this kind of card into before, like that's what gives it the high level of power that that I'm ascribing to it. And that's why a lot I have a lot of double face cards on my top fives. Uh, just a lot of those slots are are lands on one side. Uh, yeah, I I don't remember the makeup of my lists right now but yeah yeah, the double face lands are very good yeah and especially the mythic ones right for sure so i'm i'm pretty pumped to see this type of card it's i I, i'm really interested in seeing like if this is going to kind of fundamentally change how we build it's certainly going to fundamentally change how we like compose our decks in standard i'm interested in seeing what it if it's able to extend to other formats where it comes into play top lands are like even more punishing. I mean, this has the ability to come into play untapped, but add extra like non-fetchable bolt lands to your fetch shock mana base in modern or whatever. And that's, that can be kind of a big ask and seven is a lot of mana in modern. So, you know, I'm really curious to see how far the reverberations from this like pretty big change in what magic cards can do like how far that goes can i go on a small little rant about yeah like recent magic changes it's not even like anything bad really but around i'd say throwing a bill drain mostly past oko uh, is when i noticed that games of standard never ended they just kept going on and on and both Mm. players would have you know five cards in their hand at all times like people just never ran out of cards ever which was different from even a year prior where people were playing, you know, like Mono Red with Experimental Frenzy, which did have those moments where you just hit two lands and you were done, right? But ever since like Thrallville Drain and then uh, Theros Beyond Death and Ikoria, you just stopped running out of cards. <laughs> like both players just always had a full hands all the time. And it was interesting when I realized that. It was like somewhere with the Cat Mirror stuff I was realizing that. It was different, so it took me a little while to get used to. But I think it made Magic better because everyone just was playing the game at a higher frequency. Mm-hmm. It does have some pushback in that I think aggressive decks suffer from this the most. They're the decks that run out of resources the easiest. So I think that's part of the reason why we're not seeing aggressive decks recently is because there's just been this push to just let people play so much, have access to so much card cardboard really just sheer quantity of cards and i like the land cycle the double face card cycle because it kind of does the same thing like you are afforded the ability to play magic at a much higher rate than you would you know two years ago because you have these cool spells on one side that are you know not anything to write home about most of the time but because they're a land on the other side you always get to play magic and later in the game, when you have so many lands, you get to play the spells to play more magic. <laughs> like, there's the deck building costs are, are slighter, which is something I've really, really enjoyed in recent magic design. I think that is mostly a good thing, but I do think it also costs the aggro decks in multiple ways. Um, so, like, aggro decks aren't able to participate as much in this, like, I have all these cards all the time sort of magic, because... They still have to put Scorch Spitters or whatever in their deck. And a certain amount of the aggro deck win percentage comes from my opponent's mana was awkward on turn three and they weren't able to do the thing that they are supposed to do to try to catch up there. And I took advantage of that and like put them behind and then they were dead on turn five. 
And when you take that win percentage away from aggro, you have to give it back somehow if you want aggro to be a part of your metagame, and they haven't done that yet. Yeah, I, I think that that's the largest failing of this kind of new skill philosophy that they've been doing. Uh, and I, I just... A lot of other games, card games do this. I've played a lot of them, like Ethan Hearthstone and Legends of Runeterra. They don't have a mana system, mm-hmm. right? So you pretty much always get to play the game. Right. And those decks, or those card games, I guess, have so much card generation. Like, they can generate cards because they're digital card games. You're, like, never yeah. run out of cards in those games either. Uh, but the aggro decks are still good because they realized that if you just make aggro cards good, like their stats are larger, or they have haste, or they have burn effects, like something about mm-hmm. aggro decks are good. They can still compete with decks that need a lot of time to get going, or can keep playing right. forever. Magic, I've Magic needs the same thing, right? You just make aggressive creatures right. better, or make burn spells better, or something, or both, uh, but mm-hmm. they just haven't done it. <laughs> Right, exactly. That and that is exactly what I'm saying here. Is you're right. We just need better cards. It can't be a bunch of bad cards in Embercleave. Like we need all. We need a bunch of the cards to be better. We need good cards in Embercleave. Yes. Like, well, what? It can't be all good cards and Embercleave because Embercleave is so good. But Embercleave is a good start, and then we got to balance the rest of the stuff around this new world where Aggro just loses percentage points by the way that Magic is being designed now. So, yeah. Anyway, that's my little tangent for this section. We'll see what happens in the next color. Okay, so my number five is Archon of Amiria, which Mm -hmm. is a two white flying two three. It's an Archon creature. It says that each creature, each player can't cast more than one spell each turn, and non basic lands your opponent's control enter the battlefield tapped. So it's kind of a weird uh, Thalia, Guardian of Thraben. Or excuse me, Solid Felia, Heretic Cathar, <laughs> plus yeah. a Rule of Law effect. Yeah, this is on Which my is list. A lot. That's a lot of hate on one card. Yeah, this is the card I like in white decks. Which you know, it's not fantastic in any kind of regard, but it does do a lot of things which hamper you. This is in my Luminarc Aspirant slot. Sure. Because while I don't appreciate like combat numbers as much. I like this card because it's, you know, nothing to write home about. A 2-3 flyer for 3 is whatever. Mm-hmm. I've seen Congelli Sunwing play before, but it's nothing you'd go crazy about. Uh, but this card does, like, twice as many things. It hampers your opponents in two different ways, which mm-hmm. really makes it annoying after you've assembled a board, then play it. It makes it really, really hard to catch up. Yeah, I can see that. I'm not super excited about this and. Standard, like some games, it can definitely be good, I think. But games where you're on the draw, I think it will often kind of not do very much. You know, like if their turn three is front side of Uro, put a land into play, and then you play this, and then they're just like, well, I already have my mana. So, do we have to compare you know, cards to Uro? That just seems so. No, unfair. it's not, <laughs> but it's not comparing cards to Uro. It's just like understanding how things are going to play out. Basically. Can we ban Uro so we don't have to talk about how awful he makes everything? <laughs> <laughs> like if people were trying to like naturally play five Vanna planeswalkers without ramping to them then yeah like this is gonna time walk your opponent a little bit most games and that's probably enough so um but like that is a lot of different hate each player can't cast more than one spell non-basic lands your opponent's control end of the battlefield tap 
it is the first ability is symmetrical and the second ability is not yeah so be careful not to be planning on casting multiple spells which an aggro deck uh, might be a reasonable amount of the time and also be careful and if you are casting multiple spells the turn you cast this cast this one last yeah the, the old damping sphere trick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too many times my opponent played Damping Sphere and then tried to Thought Seize me on turn three. Ooh. But yeah, I, I don't think this card's like breaking the bank or anything, right? I, mm -hmm. I just think it is a card that piqued my interest as like an option. Yeah. Very explicitly does not have any good creature type. It is just an Archon. Ooh. This doesn't go into Spirits or anything like that. But it is interesting to company into potentially so yeah maybe historic as a hate mm -hmm. creature yeah. <laughs> totally possible uh my number four was felidar retreat we talked about it earlier mm -hmm. is the the cat enchantment yep. great card yep um, good card number three we also talked about it was amiria's call that is the mythic land makes angels even better card great card yes my number one so i you know i'm definitely a fan of that one yeah, it honestly probably should have been my number one, but we're just going to ignore that and move on to number two, which is a card you... Well, so it's a little... It is a little hard to, like, understand where to rank, like, the double face cards, because it's like, yes, this card is insanely good, but it's because it's so easy to fit into stuff, not because it's a card that's going to, like, make your opponent, like, slump down in their chair. So it's a different type of power level rating than... A lot of stuff gets so yeah i think you're higher on double face cards on average than i am Pro i think so too and that's like not like a slide against either of us I i'm just not honestly just not sure how to evaluate they're a card i really sure. need to play with before i can get a handle yeah. on them or you know tomorrow when the streamer showcase goes on i'll tune into some streams and i'll be like you know chris was right these cards are just fantastic <laughs> See, but even then, like, I think that these are ones that might take a little while to fully, like, grasp what they are doing. Because I think we're going to have to build our decks in different ways to maximize them and stuff. And it's going to take a while to adjust completely to that. But anyways, keep going with your list. So my number two is a card you didn't have. It's Maul of the Skyclave, which mm -hmm. is the white equipment in a set. It's two and a white for an equipment that auto-attaches when it enters the battlefield. And it gives enchanted creature, or excuse me, equipped creature, plus two, plus two, flying and first strike. And you can equip it for two and double white. I really like this card. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I just can't get away with it. This is like kind of the, I don't think this is going to solve aggro's woes or anything, but it is a card I would like to see more of where it's yeah. makes every creature a threat upon entering the battlefield you don't have to invest seven mana into it or even have like a reasonable equip cost of like two mana you don't have to pay five mana to get your first effect out of it it just does something the turn you play it yeah and then it produces threats even if they deal with the first thing mm -hmm. uh it works with nahiri a little bit but i don't really care about that <laughs> see i really care about that actually because i don't want to pay this equip cost basically ever and I am a little nervous about, like, in an aggro deck, I generally want my fancy cards to be, you know, my things that aren't just, like, creatures. But my things that are, like, doing weird stuff that, like, push my deck over the edge. I generally like them to be cards that don't make their spot removal better. 
because that's what they're bringing in. That's their their weapon against the aggro deck anyways. And unless you are doing some stuff with this, you know, it does make their spot removal better. You are investing into making one creature more powerful. Like, you aren't paying a huge cost on the front side, but it, that's a lot of your turn, even if this is, lo- like, the last spell that you cast or whatever. Uh, and so that makes me kind of nervous that you can just, like, point this at a creature and they had two mana up and you're just hoping they don't have eliminate at that point. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really valid criticism and a, a clear weakness of the card. But the way I see it, like I envision it playing out, is that you, you kind of you kind of play it like a, a finisher card, kind of like an Embercleave mm-hmm. Light, where you you get on board and you do stuff, and then you use this to break board stalls or do things where hopefully they've had to interact before and they're low on spot removal, so right. you know they get the first one you equip, you get the then you do it to the next creature, and maybe they don't have a spot removal, then you just take the finish line home. Yeah, and you really want to pick your creatures based on having this. Like, you don't want to be doubling up on flying on stuff, really. Like, what you really want is stuff that is unlikely to be able to be removed in response to this. So, uh, and I keep forgetting the name. Uh, the Hallow Bla- Season Hallow Blade, is that the name? The uh, the weird Adante Vanguard? The, Discard a card Adante yeah. Vanguard? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although you have to you tap it to make give it indestructible too is that how that works because it's supposed to be like regeneration or i don't i gotta i gotta pull this card up i know it's the only two drop white warrior in all of magic right now (laughs) that seems like an obvious plant discard a card tap season halibade it gains indestructible until end of turn so they can like fog it with an eliminate which you know you just gave it five powers so that's like okay but you still gotta a five power flying guy that's not removable and so like this is that's a combo that i'm like pretty interested in in making work for sure and and one of the cards i was looking at which i didn't didn't make my list was archpriest of iona which is the one drop that's a star two mm-hmm. that's power is equal to the number of creatures in your party uh, yeah. i didn't make my list because i was doing scryfall searches for warriors specifically because not that many mm-hmm. rogues or wizards you're interested in attacking with in white decks right uh, there's just one warrior that's a two drop in white. And it's just that it's one. just that one. <laughs> Every other two yeah. drop is either a soldier, a knight, or a cat. <laughs> yeah, or the the one that gives plus one plus one counters is a cleric. The, yeah, Luminarch aspirant is just also a cleric. Yeah. So. Clerics don't count either. There are a lot of two drop clerics though. So it's a little unfortunate, but yeah, I mean, I can see the the mall being. You know, you want a couple of copies in your white creature deck, especially in certain matchups. But I can see metas where it's just, like, not quite the tool that that does the job. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, like, indicative of aggressive as a whole right now. Like, you you really have to pick your spot. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, And then my number one card was Skyclave Apparition, the faux O-Ring core spirit. Uh, Just a, a card I really appreciate. It's really good, for sure. You want to move on to blue? Any last words about white? It looks like white is hopefully giving some tools to attack with creatures, and I really hope that that works out. Yeah, me too. All right, so I'll start off for blue. Uh, My number five is a bit of a wild one. I picked Bayin Veil, which is a one in a U instant that gives... All creatures minus two minus zero until end of turn. Creatures your yeah sorry creatures your opponent's control minus two minus zero. 
And then on the back side, it's just a comfortably tapped blue source. I'm totally fine with basically any of the double-faced lands that do something on the other side being on a top five. Like, any of them could be good in a deck that needs them, so. And, and that's kind of how I'm picturing this deck card. It's, like, never going to be played, pretty much, is what I think. But <laughs> in those mad like, I, I played Nexus of Fate, and there was Uncomfortable Chill, I think it was called. Some card that gave, it was 2U and it gave everything white to 2-1-0 and you drew a card, right? Mm-hmm. Which was like your fifth fog, which was pretty bad right. a vast majority of the time. But you would love to have played a couple of these. Yeah, I could have played like... A land slot and a spell slot. Like yeah. honestly, I could have just cut fogs and played Bahinvilles instead because they are fogs that are land drops. And the most important thing was hitting your land drops in those decks. Yeah, and you were mostly fogging the aggro decks only, like with the mid range decks and stuff. Like you, you, you often just didn't even need to stop a combo, a, a, a combat step. Like you just get there first. Yeah, you just take whatever damage they had or force through all their spells. And when you're when combat doesn't matter, having a land drop is really nice. I I could see it. This this card almost made my list. So I I don't think it's like that weird of a choice. Nice. Well, I I thought you were gonna be harsher on me, but I forgot. Your shared love of double face cards. I I just I think we should err on the side of calling them all busted until like each any particular one. It's been like okay, yeah, this one didn't perform. So yeah, that's fair. I, I also had uh, glass pole mimic, which was a clone mm-hmm. on it, which is on the other side of the land. Uh, that one didn't make my yeah. list, but maybe it'll make yours. I haven't. I don't remember. <laughs> it it didn't, but I wouldn't be surprised if that card ends up being like real real good potentially it seems to be like a a card that's busted just waiting to happen yeah and it's weird because it's a self only clone which generally like you can't really do but when you don't have any creatures in play that you want to copy it's a land and that's fine i kind of like comparing and we'll just make this a baiting veil slash glass pole mimic discussion Uh, (laughs) but i like glass pole mimic comparing it to kind of phantasmal image because it's really cheap for a clone. Clone's usually four mana, five mana. Uh, Phantasm is just two mana, and you always, you pretty much always pick your own creatures. Uh, yeah. Nowadays, Glasspool make you don't even have the option, but you don't have like the Phantasm which downside. But you've got another upside, so it's like kind of a weird card. But I, I do think it is has the potential to be like, wow, I can't believe we overlooked Glasspool Mimic, you know? Right. Well, we already saw a like busted looking historic list featuring glass pool mimic so i could i could see we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit probably when we talk about seagate stormcaller so yeah we can talk about that i am maybe skeptical of that deck but well, what yeah let's hold off on it until we we talk about the enabling card so the fourth card on my list is another double fist card it's selundi vision which is a okay. two and you instant you get to look at the top mm-hmm. six cards of your library, and you can reveal among them an instant or sorcery. Put that in your hand, and the rest on the bottom in a random order. And on the back yeah. side, it's a kind of really tough to blue source. Does this, like, see play in Modern Storm? It feels, like, fine there, potentially. It's pretty expensive for Modern Storm. It is, but it's a, it's a land plus a setup turn card, whichever one you need, and I... God, that it just seems really powerful to me, potentially. I, I agree. I think it is really powerful, and it will definitely be one of those cards that sneaks its way into unfair decks, for sure. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. more interested in actual Twiddle Storm 
playing this card than I am. Oh, sure. Like normal grape shot storm because right because you you can't hit too many lands in a row with it's it's horrendous to 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 get lands. But if you can play like fourteen lands in your deck or thirteen lands and four of these and some other double face cards, like all of a sudden you've got this like pretty good engine while being able to hit all your land drops for Lotus Field. Yeah, I that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, that, that's just like yeah. the first thing I thought of. I'm sure there's going to be other applications for this card. <laughs> I think generally like Lotus Field based combo decks in whatever format are going to be interested in this card because like you need to hit your land drops before the Lotus Field comes down and then after that you don't really care that much about hitting your land drops usually and so the value of lands is enormous in the first couple of turns and then just minuscule after that. So this makes a ton of sense to me in, like, basically any Lotus Field deck. Yeah, and that's, like, the first place I think it'll go. I think it's definitely a card I will play. <laughs> There's just, like, yeah, not a question yeah, about it to seems, me. <laughs> this seems like a U card for sure. <laughs> uh, my number three was Inscription of Insight, which is mm-hmm. a 4 and a U sorcery. It's a modal... Yeah, sorry, 3 and a U, 4 total. Uh, sorcery, it's one of the charms... So it's got Kicker 2 UU, and if you kick it, you get to pick any number of the modes. And the modes are return up to two target creatures to their owner's hands, scry two, then draw two, and target player creates an XX blue illusion creature token, where X is the number of cards in their hand. I initially thought this card was an instant and was over the moon about how they could print such a busted card. Right. (laughs) Is a sorcery. So it is a sorcery. My, it's such a sorcery. My expectations kind of plummeted there, which was sad. But this card yeah. is kind of still worth looking at, in my opinion, because although it is rather a slow card, being a four mana sorcery, that mm-hmm. uh, I like that it has defensive applications. You can bounce two creatures or make an illusion while being able to kind of refuel. So while I don't ever see playing this like as a four of or whatever, I could pretty easily see playing it like as two of the decks need in decks that need to refuel while having a little extra utility. And kicking this is a pipe dream. It just feels it just feels so medium to me. I this just looks so clunky and I just don't know that I'm going to be happy casting like against an aggro deck paying four mana to return two of their creatures to their hand like I, I, that doesn't seem very good to me no and like putting an illusion into play like th- they usually have ways of like busting through a generic blocker that you paid a bunch of mana for i'm and obviously you're not putting it into your deck like for the aggro matchup but the like balancing thing of it is like if you're playing a grindy if you're playing a grindy matchup then you can scry two and draw two cards and then you have some utility in your other matchups but that utility in the other matchups i think is just like not good enough. like it's still very clunky in those matchups and i i don't foresee ever casting the spell that's fair i'm not really t- ready to write it off just yet because there are a bunch of mid-range decks nowadays and this is a lot of modes. Like, mostly the first two modes. I don't really care about an illusion at all. Yeah. And kicking this is, I think, kind of a pipe dream. I don't see doing it ever. But yeah. casting it in a mid-range matchup to bounce two creatures to get ahead on board while still having, like, the ability to draw two with one, it seems worth it mm-hmm. to consider to be. And, yeah, it's terrible yeah. in aggressive decks. I 
No. <laughs> I, I'm not going to argue yeah. there. I, I'd have to see it to believe it, I think. This just doesn't... I don't want to cast spells that just draw cards in, like, any matchup anymore. So it's a little hard to sell me on this one. All right, that's fair. I mean, I want to do that, but I just feel like I'm going to lose most of the time I do that, is all. Well, I have another spell for you. Ooh. It's uh, actually a creature. <laughs> My number two. Oh, okay. It's a Seagate Stormcaller, which yeah. is a two mana, one U, two, one, with kicker four and a U. So two mana or seven if you want to kick it. And when it comes into the battlefield, you copy the next instant or sorcery spell with convert mana cost two or less. You cast this turn when you cast it. And if Seagate Stormcaller was kicked, you copy that spell twice instead, and you can choose new targets for the copies. Boy. <laughs> I... Wait. What's up? So they... They added... When you cast it to the end of that... That just, like, doesn't grammatically, like, parse to No, me. it's... But I guess it's... I guess it's that if this entered the battlefield in any way other than you casting it, then it doesn't copy the spell. So uh, no, it should. Oh no, you. It's an ETB effect. Oh, you copy the spell when you cast the spell. Right. Why does it say when you cast it at the end of that? Sentence? I am not sure. It was very awkward to read, and I especially got to the part where I said you may choose new targets for the copies, which makes it makes me think that you can only choose new targets if you kick it. But I know that can't be the case. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I guess it's that you copy it when you cast... Like, they have to put that on there because it's a delayed triggered ability, so they have to put when it happens on there to make it work. But boy, it really screws up the reading of this card. But you cast this, and then you cast opt or a removal spell or a thought seize, and then you get a copy of that. Like, that's how it works. Yeah, it's a two-drop. I was really low on this card initially when I read it because mm -hmm. I was tricked by the kicker effect. <laughs> yeah, the kicker doesn't Kicker matter. just doesn't matter. You never do it, and you get so little out of it that, like, maybe when you draw it super late in the game, you could do something with it, but you get one more opt by paying five mana on top of this thing, so... Yeah, it's not worth it. But I, having a two one no. uh, that copies the next spell has a incredible value utility, and it's not worth comparing this card to, like, Dreadhorror Arcanist or Snapcaster Mage, because they just do much different things. Yeah. Uh, it's more apt to compare this to like double cast or twin cast, which are unplayable, right? Right. But, but they don't give you a they two don't one. give you a two one. And right. Riku was was a card in Odyssey, which gave it was a two mana card that gave a a spell in your graveyard flashback at the load of turn, right? Sounds familiar? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's Snapcaster Rage without yeah. the two one. <laughs> right. And it just wasn't I mean, it saw some play sometimes before Past in Flames existed, but you know, it was not really... It wasn't a generically good card. It was a weird combo-y card. Yeah, and I think this card is just a generically good card, while still maybe mm -hmm. being a combo card. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think this is good. And I think that, like... I think you're absolutely right. Like, you can't just compare this to Snapcaster Mage. It's doing a different thing. Snapcaster Mage gives you a lot of versatility and utility. Like, Snapcaster Mage does the thing where you're demonic tutoring your graveyard, and that's really powerful. This is an early game play where you're just trying to get card and maybe some tempo advantage. And, you know, the 2-1 body is usually more relevant in those early turns, so that's kind of nice. But, like, imagine your opponent is an aggro deck and plays out two creatures, 
and then your turn three is cast this and then cast uh blood chief's thirst is that what that card is the called? Spell? yeah i mean a one mana removal yeah. spell and you, you killed both of your guys or your yeah or your turn four is cast this and cast eliminate or heartless act and copy it like that's it's brutal. backbreaking that's a lot like and it does right. take two like, cards but you're essentially getting three cards out of it yeah, yeah. Like a turn four that was Ravenous Chupacabra was often like pretty decent against an aggressive deck, but not always the best because sometimes they had more guys and the 2-2 wasn't quite there. If you're killing their two best guys on that turn, like it doesn't really matter that you spent one more card on top of that because in Magic right now, it's about getting your cards on the table as fast as you can and comparing them to the cards your opponent has put out onto the table. So getting those two removal spells is huge against the aggressive decks getting two duresses or two agonizing remorses against the not aggressive decks is like their hand is gone at that point yeah this is i honestly had a really hard time deciding between number one and number two and i i kind of erred on i i think this card's really good but i like the next card a lot (laughs) which probably colored my perceptions but i think this card is like possibly in the running for best card in the set that i think that's possible too and the more i talk about it i have it too low on my list i, I think the thing here to realize as opposed to Snapcaster mage is you are getting free mana off of this card and every time you copy a two mana spell like you're getting your two one for i mean kind of not quite worth two mana but kind of and then you're getting your two two mana spells for two mana like that snapcaster made you always have to pay full retail for the spell and here you're you're getting a discount and i think that makes a pretty big difference there's also a bunch of cute stuff you can do with this because it is a body and it's copying a spell and so the things i'm thinking of are uh village rights you get to cast with this and copy and you just draw a whole bunch of cards kind of cute but kind of wasteful a little i mean bit. a little bit right but honestly <laughs> But this card has a lot of utility, right? So you're not just using those village rights. But if you have a turn right. like four or five where you just have those two cards in your hand and you've got nothing really going on, just slam it down mm-hmm. and sacrifice the Stormcaller to village rights and draw four cards, you know? Yeah, and that's certainly going to be good sometimes. It's just that the plays that I'm most excited about with Stormcaller are like tempo positive plays mostly. Yeah, where you're... So turning it into a big concentrate is not like exactly what I want It's to do. It's way better when you play it on like turn four or five and copy a Heartless Act. Which just generates another right. carless act and casts it. So, right, like I want to be casting real spells on the same turn with this, not just card. Like I want to be casting lava coils and duresses and you know, I guess we don't have actual lava coil, but it also pays the the cost for the card. So you can do this and copy a cathartic reunion. Yeah, no additional costs because it's so, a copy. So you know, if you are doing card drawing, there are ways to do it. And the last like super cute thing you can do is you can play this and then play neoform and it copies the neoform and there's some like combo-y stuff you can do with that if you get dual caster mages in historic so you can use that to put all of your dual caster mages and then all of your uh three mana clones copying dual caster mages into play and then get something to give them haste and kill your opponent so maybe that exists but this with neoform certainly is potentially very powerful yes i i think the list the neoform dual caster mage glass pull mimic deck that i saw it's not there yet i, I think it's horrendous yeah. 
like yeah, in sure. kind of concept and execution. <laughs> but I, <laughs> but I like this card with the card Neoform. <laughs> Mm-hmm. because it's a lot of value for not a lot of cost yes yeah i mean you can skip the combo stuff and you can go this into neoform and get like you just played the best collective like company ever six five right right exactly like you get like whatever the two threes out of your deck you want to get there and they're bigger like that's powerful on its own yeah and they're bigger you got like three four reflector mages or six five steel leaf champions or just whatever you wanted to do that. Yeah, and that's what I that's, that's what cool. I think the like really cool thing about the Neoform with this card is not filling my deck up with a bunch of like unplayable Unplayable. Cards. Yeah. <laughs> Which don't the combo doesn't even work if you draw like a three a three mana card or two three mana cards, and you're just gonna draw them some percentage of the time. And then you're right. There's a lot of them in your deck. And like, if you put six three threes with haste and attack with all of them, and your opponent has like a couple creatures and they block and then like unearth Uro, you just can't win anymore because you don't have enough damage. <laughs> like it's right. It's right. pretty depressing when I like did the math behind it. I mean, maybe that surprises me, right? And people figure it out better. But I, the current versions I've seen running around, I, I'm not a fan of. Yeah. No. I. I. I think that makes a lot of sense, but. As a value play, there's there's something really good there. Yeah. And my number one card, because I've got one more card oh, yeah, left, we're still doing this. <laughs> is Jace Mirror Mage, which is one UU Planeswalker with four mana. It's a Jace. It's got Kicker 2, and if you kick him, he enters the battlefield with a token copy, except it's not legendary, and it starts at one loyalty instead of four. Uh, it's got a plus one of scry two and a zero of draw a card and reveal it. Then to remove a number of loyalty counters equal to that card's convert mana cost from Jace. We talked about this a little previously in like the first preview show we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still like this card a lot. I think it's just a really good three mana play and a really good five mana play. It's especially a really good five mana play. And I think it'll see quite a bit of standard play. Yes. I think it's just a great standard designed planeswalker uh i mean it, it could see other application because there's a three mana side to this card which makes it pretty powerful but yeah just the flexibility is so good and it encourages you to lean towards cheaper spells in your deck building which is really as nice. we learned from loris that just improves the quality of your decks <laughs> right the weird thing about this though is you have to be really careful about the spell lands that you put in your deck because you no longer are necessarily a 24 land deck where every time this reveals a land, he takes zero damage. If he reveals one of your lands that has a three mana spell on the other side, he's taken three damage. Yeah. So I that's actually like kind of a problem that I have with the card, but we'll see how that plays out. That's fair. I hadn't considered that yet because, again, I'm not fully understanding these double-based mm-hmm. cards. Yeah. But I, I just really like this card yeah i i do too and i i think that he should be quite good you want to go to to your list yeah we, we talked so much so about Jace. my number <laughs> i mean there's it's it's a planeswalker that draws cards it has variable mana costs so you can do it on different turns and will be good in a number of game states and that's a recipe for a good card yeah so that's it's not a super complicated card for a planeswalker with kicker but it is interesting and should fill some slots 
Um, my number five is Seagate Stormcaller, but after talking about it with you, I just have this way too low. I think that this card is really yeah, good. I do too. So this is the two one that that casts a spell that copies a yeah, spell. This card's great. My number four is Concerted Defense. This is blue for an instant counter target non-creature spell unless its controller pays one plus an additional one for each creature in your party. I don't think this is a crazy good card, but we do not have a spell pierce in standard, and this is going to fill a spell pierce role, especially in any sort of any deck with Brazen Borrower that wants a spell pierce in it and has some other creatures and stuff. A lot of creatures fill these creature types, and spell pierce is at its best when you have something on the board and you are countering something that they are casting to deal with your something that's on the board, and so this slots pretty nicely into any sort of fishy type strategy that we can make work. Yeah, that's where I'll see, I think it'll see the most plays in like fishy style decks where they want to get on the mm-hmm. board early and then they can use this to, to keep their lead and finish the game out before yeah. too much goes be out of their control. Uh, as mm-hmm. the sideboard card, kind of like Spell Pierce can be, it's a lot worse because you do have to have a board. Uh, there's a huge delta between one mana and two mana. Uh, it, yeah. Even if it's like a tax effect. It may be slightly less, and again, this is a thing that we have to see play out. If people are playing a lot of spell lands, and they're using the extra mana on any given turn to play a comes into play tap land, then it may be easier to get people with a one mana with a four spike than it has been in the past. But I, you know, that's pretty marginal. So, uh, my next card is Jace Mirror Mage. I think this card is quite good. I don't think it's going to break anything in half, but it is really flexible and powerful. So, My number two is Salundi Vision. This is the flip land. Makes blue mana on one side. The other side is the instant. Look at the top six cards of your library. You can reveal an instant or sorcery and put them in your hand. I just think that it has tremendous combo applications and will do a lot. Yeah, this is like the, the card of the set I know for certain I'm going to play with. <laughs> like if any other... If I had to tell you... With absolute certainty, I was going to play a card in this set. I would just pick this one. Yeah. For sure. I, I would have picked this for you, too. <laughs> My number one, I, I think I went with probably what would be a controversial choice if we like had the type of audience to like engage in that way and get mad at me about <laughs> stuff. And it's possible that I am just like way too high on this thing. But I, I have Jwari Disruption. This is one in a blue for an instant counter-target spell unless its controller pays one, and on the other side, it is a land that makes blue and comes into play tapped. And I think that most of the time that you cycled sensor, you were looking for a land, especially in the first many turns of the game, and this just is that. Whenever you cycle sensor and you didn't find the land, you were just like, oh, God damn it! I'm so screwed. This one just does that without you even paying the mana for it. I mean, it, is, it comes into play tap land, so you you know, you know always have to pay the piper. But obviously where this falls short against in the comparison to Sensor is when you draw it on turn 7 or turn 8 and can't just trade it in for something. And so that obviously is a, a huge difference. It also doesn't go to your graveyard, which mattered for stuff like Search for Escanta, would matter now for stuff like Uro. Uh, but I foresee Dwari Disruption hitting a lot of things in the future in standard i looked at this card as well i didn't end up putting on my list because i was a type of player who actually played quite a bit of sensor and Mm -hmm. i would even hold the sensors when they were supposed to be cycled because i knew i could get people with it 
Yeah. Uh, and if they didn't bite, I would just cycle them and it was fine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's a way you could do it where you're not necessarily looking for a land, because since there's a lot more versatile in that way. Uh, the problem I have with this card is it's got a very limited window of application, just like Sensor Tail. Uh, but when you play the land side, like even if you play it on turn one, like if you if you use it on turn one, the easiest turn to play tap land, your opponent just knows that's a possibility, and it feels like you've just given it up. What if it's the only one in your deck, and you just put that into their head by playing it turn one? I mean, if you're gonna play one Juari disruption, that's I guess <laughs> kudos to you, right? <laughs> I I probably have this too high, and and yeah, you do have to make that decision earlier than you would have to make it with sensor because you can only put lands during your main phase and it's, it comes into play tap land so if you're banking on that mana you have to do it before you need that mana but there's i i don't know man there's just something to these spell lands and having a a spell on the other side that can be just like a total blowout and at least just is really good on turn two is is something yeah, I'm not going to criticize you too harshly for putting a spell land really high, or a, yeah, spell land really high. Mm-hmm. But I would encourage you know the community to just get mad at CCR because I just never see it happen. <laughs> <laughs> just just really yell at CCR, and tell them how you feel about this card. That's totally fine. I'm down for that <laughs> engagement. Right? Yeah, Hooray. hot takes. This this set <laughs> review will be titled "Jewelry Disruption: The Best Card Ever." <laughs> oh God. <laughs> All right, let's move on to black. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so my number five in black is Null Priest of Oblivion. This is one in a black for a vampire cleric. It is a 2-1 with menace and lifelink and kicker of three in a black. So if you cast it for six mana total, when it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. I just think this is a really cool level of versatility between a two-drop that is pretty obnoxious for an aggressive deck to see it's at least just like gaining you two life a turn and they're they're not going to be able to block this with two creatures if they're also trying to attack you with their creatures so even if you're not blocking and trading and going up to life you can mitigate some of the life loss with it or it can be a medium threat that comes down like before stuff if you're playing a grindy matchup and you just menace makes it really hard to block especially in constructed so this is like a pretty real body for two and then later in the game, it can provide a ton of value. It's also like a kind of like fake expensive spell for a Luris deck, although you are losing a lot of the advantage of a Zombify if everything in your deck only costs two mana. So I, you know, kind of want some more expensive creatures in my deck so that when I draw this two drop later, it's like, okay, cool, I get this two one body and I also get this just like monster in play as well. I, I also like this card. It's I played a lot against Gunsleeve Siphoner, which is a miss creature 2-1 for 2. Much the mm-hmm. same. It, it had a more readily available card advantage thing, so it's not on the same axis. But it was like yeah. quite difficult to do combat around that card sometimes. Especially mm-hmm. when you like removal spell that creature and get it for 2, which guaranteed more advantages. Uh, this card doesn't have the same like advantage accruing thing that Gunsleeve does. But it does gain life, which is another form of resource while it's on the board. Yeah. And having that plus the added flexibility of not just being like a, a derpy 2-1 when you draw it later in the game. Right. Is nice. I also want to call out that it's a cleric. 
Which doesn't matter. Yep, that's important. It doesn't matter a huge amount, I don't think. But when I was talking last time about the Red Black Vampire Lord in like Pioneer, mm-hmm. uh, it's a cleric for that. It can slot in over like Gifted Aetherborn or whatever. I kind of love it with that guy specifically. Because yeah, he, he, you know, he this enables it. you to cast him cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Like if you have, you know, a cleric and a something out and then you cast that guy for four mana and then like, oh crap, I got to kill that. And then they kill it. And then once you have six mana, you cast this and you just get that four, four flying haste death touch back. Yeah, that that's like one of the interactions I really like about this card while being like a yeah. solid creature in its own right. Yep, yep. So definitely, I this is a the kind of card that really appeals to me particularly. I, I like using my graveyard for stuff. I like the flexibility, and I like that it the value changes over the course of the game. So I, I'm excited to play with this one. Uh, my next black card is number four is Feed the Swarm. This is one in a black for a sorcery. Destroy target creature or enchantment and opponent controls. You lose life equal to that permanent's converted mana cost. I think this is going to kill a lot of Rest in Pieces and a lot of Leylines of the Void in decks that were previously completely unable to do that. Yeah, I think this is not maybe a game changer, but very, very powerful or potent. Yeah. Because Black had really bad enchantment destruction before. They've like been ramping it up over the past mm-hmm. couple sets. Freak is libation, yeah. Yeah. And there was one in Throne of Eldraine too that was even worse. It's like five, yeah. Mana. But <laughs> yeah, they've been like ramping up the black creature and destruct or enchantment destruction. Uh, this one's a lot better because it's only two mana and isn't dead all the time, <laughs> right? Because if you have to sideboard it in and- against like rest in peace or leyline, and they don't have one of those cards, you can still use the other half to like advance. Yep, as long as they have creatures in their deck, which you know, e- even against like a blue white control deck. If they sideboarded in Leyline or Rest in Peace against you, there's a decent chance they brought in Baneslayer Angel as well. So, you know, having this in there as your Baneslayer Angel answer and your Graveyard Hate answer, is that's a nice combo of stuff. Yeah, having a fail-safe for your kind of niche sideboard answer is not a luxury afforded most sideboard cards. Right, right. And of course, we're talking about older formats, yeah. because Rest in Peace and Leyline are not going to be legal. I mean, Rest in Peace is not in standard. Leyline will be rotating out of standard, but they are very legal and very present in Historic and Pioneer and Modern. So, And if there's something like, you know, Fires of Adventure or Wilderness Acclamation that gets printed that Black really needs to deal with, and like a blue-black deck, all of a sudden you can do that. Yep. And I appreciate this isn't just like a removal spell that is catch-all and good against everybody. I feel like they learned some lessons from a braid where that was both an artifact hate card and just a very well-priced removal spell that was great against aggro decks and was an instant. And you can't just jam a bunch of Feed the Swarms into your deck the way that you could with a Braid. Since you could do that with a Braid, it rendered a ton of cards from the artifact block just completely unplayable in standard. And this does not do that for enchantments. Well, artifact destruction is allowed to just be... Ma- orders of magnitude better than any other kind of permanent destruction. <laughs> <laughs> so that just makes sense to me. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Uh, my next card is Hagra Mauling. This is my number three for black. Two and a black for an instant. Destroy target creature. It costs one less to cast if an opponent controls no basic lands in perhaps the most bizarre line of text in the entire set. And it is a double face card, so there's a land on the other side. 
So this is really preying on those people who are just only playing spell lands in their deck, right? I guess <laughs> famously all the all non-basic land decks tend to be super creature heavy or something. I don't I just don't really understand that line of text. But I'm mostly treating this as a four mana murder with a land on the other side, and it's just a generically fine card that's a little overcosted, but it has a land on it, and that's really powerful. Yeah, that's pretty much all I can say about this card. I think it's like a little too weak overall, mm-hmm. but the flexibility probably means it's East play. It's not super interesting, but it probably will let you do some weird stuff with deck building. And honestly, like, it lets you patch up holes in your deck that would be tough to patch up otherwise if you are putting like eliminate into your deck you only have so many slots for removal and then you can't kill their four drop but this does that so and and it's not taking a removal slot in your deck necessarily so i I think that it will give you deck building options and let you do interesting stuff there next one is blood chief's thirst this is black for a sorcery kicker two and a black Destroy target creature or planeswalker with converted mana cost 2 or less. If the spell was kicked, instead destroy target creature or planeswalker. The difference between having a 2-mana removal spell and a 1-mana removal spell against the aggro deck is just absolute light years difference. Like, you are doing a pretty fair trade if you pay 2-mana. If you pay 1-mana, like, you are catching up and you are playing the game better and favored generally when that happens uh, yeah and it's not just only like the mana differential of what you kill because a two drop removal spell killing a two drop is fine some of the time like, mm-hmm. uh, but when you can use a one drop to kill a two drop or even a one drop and then play another spell afterwards that's how you really like get back into the games exactly yeah or if you're using your mana on turn one and then using your mana on turn two for something else. Like, you've done twice as many things in that short period in the game. Whereas if you had, you know, two two mana removal spells, even though they're, like, better because they kill more stuff, you're not doing yeah. as much, so it doesn't really matter. Yep. And running copies of this and then playing against the deck without, like, twos that really matter that much, but they have either creatures or planeswalkers in their deck that cost more than two, like, it's not going to be dead, it'll be slightly clunky, but it is better than drawing Eliminate against your opponent who has only planeswalkers in their deck, so... Yeah, it's probably... Only, like, expensive planeswalkers in their deck. Yeah, it's probably slightly better than having a land on the other side, or maybe slightly more fair, mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> Being able to, you know, use this to kill more expensive things as the, the game gets bigger. And then my number one for black is Agadim's Awakening, X black 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 sorcery, return from your graveyard to the battlefield, any number of target creature cards that each have a different converted mana cost X or less. And on the other side, it is the bolt land for black. I just think you can run a ton of these in your Luris deck, in your aggressively slanted black decks, in your black decks that do creature and graveyard stuff, and it's going to be a land a lot of the time and it's going to be really powerful when you don't want it to be a land and i'll, I'll expand your range of black decks this goes in it goes in the bigger black decks too because you have sure. the mana to cast it at that point <laughs> you know yeah like it, it's just honestly probably close to an auto include in most black decks if you're if you have a swamp in your deck you should just consider playing this card yeah, as long as you're playing some number of, some creatures. Number of yeah. creatures. Yeah, if you have creatures in your deck in, you know, standard, heaven forbid. Right. <laughs> if you don't, ship me a <laughs> list, you've broken it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think the card is super, super good, for sure. Yeah, I, we, we talked about this a bunch last week. We like this card. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm huge on it, and I'll be playing a lot. Uh, let's go to my list. It's not too different. Most of the cards are the same. Uh, my number five was Feed the Swarm, which is that enchantment destruction card. Uh, yep. My number four was actually another removal spell we didn't talk about, Soul Shatter. Which is okay. two and a B instant for each opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker, which is the highest converted mana cost among creatures and planeswalkers they control. Yeah, this one's pretty nice. Yeah, this is kind of like a, a role player card where, you know, the playcrafters and of the world are fine, mostly because they're creatures, but they don't often hit the thing you want to later in the game. Uh, mostly thinking about planeswalkers typically there's like a, a birth of maletus mm. token in the way or something that you can't get rid of uh this sure. gets rid of that it jumps straight to a planeswalker or a dream trawler or whatever it does have a huge weakness right now and that Uro's just a three drop <laughs> <laughs> so i don't this is one of the cards it's kind of on the list to be aware of more than as like an auto include mm-hmm. uh, it, it's just like a a card i want to be aware of in the format that, because it's an answer yeah. that not a lot of other cards are, especially to untargetable things like Dream Trawler. Right, and that's the thing, is I want a reason to be playing this over, like, Murderous Rider or one of the other removal spells that we were talking about. I think you need something hexproof in the format in order for you to justify playing this. And then it's, like, fine in other matchups, but it's, like, that's the special thing it does, is kill Dream Trawler, and that's the reason to play it over something else. Without something like that, you know, you're probably just playing your other Murderous spells. Rider or something. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of yeah. them, even in the set alone. So just pick pick other right. ones, you know. Yeah, my my top five is mostly <laughs> removal spells. So I mean, honestly, my top five as well. Yeah. Uh, my number three is actually Nighthawk Scavenger, which is mm-hmm. a one BB vampire rogue. It's a one plus star three, so three toughness always, and then its power is equal to one plus the number of card types among cards in your opponent's graveyards. So it's kind of like a weird Tarmogoyf. And has flying death touch and life. Yeah, it has flying death touch and life link. So it's like a vampire yep. nighthawk from an era bygone plus a bunch of power. <laughs> yes. It's just like a card that'll at least see sideboard play, I'd have to assume. And maybe it can slip yeah. into decks that are interested in attacking or at least racing, but that's like kind of format dependent. I'll have to see on that regard. Yeah, I mean, it, it mostly just didn't make my list because it is kind of boring. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, it's got a lot of ability words on there, but it's just a creature. And, you know, if it gets lightning striked or whatever, I know lightning or equivalent, then you didn't get anything out of it. But if it if it's in play and it's blocking or attacking, it's doing a ton of work. And it's also got helpful creature types if you're doing rogue stuff it's a rogue if you're doing party stuff it's a rogue if you are trying to cast your you know your black red gold vampire and you have a couple of clerics in your deck and this is one of your rogues like you're starting to inch towards at least threatening casting that as a four mana spell and like forcing your opponent to do something to stop you from doing that and so i i I think there's like a lot of different things you can be doing with this that maybe do make it a little more interesting than what's on the tin but it's mostly a a body with a lot of combat abilities yeah i, I initially had no priest of oblivion in this spot which is the two one for mm-hmm. two 
that we talked about a little while ago. I decided to swap them out just so I could talk about this card because I didn't think you'd make your list. <laughs> right, sure. And, you know, it worked out in that regard. I mean, this is like just a solid creature. I think it's worth yeah. including. Yeah. Uh, the next card I wasn't quite sure how to evaluate, but I'm pretty high on. It's Skyclave Shade. Uh, this is a 1 and a B 3-1 creature shade. Uh, it can't block, and it's got Kicker 2 and a B. And if it was kicked, it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it. So to recap stats, that's two mana for a three one or five mana for a five three. And it has landfall, which is whenever land is battlefield under control, if it's in your graveyard and it's your turn, you can cast it from your graveyard this turn. So it's the blood gas we get nowadays. Right, you don't get them for no mana anymore, but that's for the best. Yeah, can you imagine if cards printed the last year just gave you bunches of mana for free? That would be out of line. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> but I, this, this card is just like a threat that keeps coming back. Even if you have to do a little mana investment for it, uh, it's nowhere near as good cards good as cards we've seen in the past, like Bloodgast or Scrapheap's Crounger. Because of timing rules, like Scrappy Counter does cost mana, but you can bring it back against the speed, doesn't really matter. Uh, this card's only yeah. sorcery, but it does have that little extra kicker bonus, which I don't think will come up super often, but the times it does, you'll be glad you have it. Yeah. When the game goes long enough and your boards are like pretty barren and you're just like land number seven, but I guess I get a 5 3 out of that. Like that, that'll, that'll happen sometimes. And I think the landfall ability gets. Uh, amplified a little bit by the number of lands you'll have in your deck the spell lands especially mm -hmm. because you're making yeah. more land drops you can bring this back more frequently and i imagine this always sees play with crypto Agadim. so it's just going to <laughs> build up towards yeah. that anyway so you can it's funny that sometimes you'll draw Agadim's awakening and you'll just be like oh shoot it's just better to play this because then i can cast two skyclave shades yeah. <laughs> which i couldn't get yeah. otherwise <laughs> It's just like a solid threat. I If there's some aggressive black decks out there, I would start with this card and see how it performs. Sure. Um, my it, I waffled on this for a while. The fact that it can't block actually does kind of suck. Well, I think it just and balances I know that, the like, card. <laughs> right. But, I mean, I know that like it obviously can't block because like that would be such an awful thing to have to grind through for an attacking deck, like a creature that keeps coming back that is blocking, and that they traditionally put that text on these cards that keep coming back. But, you know, you, we're not playing a cheating deck that doesn't really care about that. We're not, like, getting a bunch of blood gas back and it doesn't really matter that they can't block. Like, this is probably going in as a two-drop creature in your Magic the Gathering deck that is not playing a dredge game. And when they play a one-drop into Luminarch Aspirant, which puts plus one, plus one counters on your creatures each turn, and then you play Skyclave Shade, and they're just like, I literally could not care less about that card in play. Playing it straight up, it's like, sometimes it's going to not matter because of that text. And that worries me a little bit about it. But as a recursive threat, when you are beating down, it is really good. It's just that it doesn't play both sides of the ball. And that removes some level of flexibility from it. Oh, yeah. I, I think Scrappy Scratcher had the same relative problems just as an onboard creature being a three power creature mm -hmm. for two mana that can't block uh but mm -hmm. we saw decks that were using i mean scrappy scrounge is a bit of an exception too because it effectively had haste with vehicles and the fact that you could use it on instep 
and you could block with it if you had a heart of cure. Right, right. The vehicle so, stuff. So we right. don't get vehicles that definitely sucks. But you're trying to build those decks that use cards like that, where mm-hmm. you're not trying to block a lot anyway. Of course, it's just it happens. Yeah, it'll come up even for when sure. You're not intending yeah. on it. Like you block a lot <laughs> when you have when you both have creatures. But you know this is a a pretty aggressively costed recursive threat. If your opponent has a bunch of removal spells and you just keep doing Skyclave Shades to them, like they're not going to be super happy about that. So, And my number one was also Agadim's Awakening. I think this is just by far the best black card. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's one of the best cards in the set for sure. All right, let's go, let's go on to red. Yeah, give me your red cards. My red cards? Okay. I think we have like a significantly different lists here. Well, maybe not that different, but we, we do have some different cards. Okay, so my number five is Valakut Awakening, which is a spell land. It is two and a red for an instant, which is put any number of cards from your hand on the bottom of your library, then draw that many cards plus one. And on the back side, it's a red source that comes way tapped. This is kind of like a Salundi Visions to me, which mm-hmm. is just a combo enabler that's a land on the other side. Uh, yeah. It's not nearly as good as Cylindy Visions, because you have to give up something to get something. Like, you can pay three mana to cycle this because and not put anything back, but that's horrible. You never want to do that. <laughs> yeah, right. So you have to, like, really have a, a deck that either wants lands, because it's a land on the other side, so, like, landfall is a lot better with it, or you need specific cards you want to turn through your deck and get to them faster. I don't have this one on my list, I liked it a lot at first, but yeah, because after Visions got spoiled, I was just like, well, this that's taken up a lot of the air that this thing would be breathing otherwise. A lot of the slots this would go into because it's like, ooh, like cycling land with upside that gives a spell trigger. It's like, oh, this one just does that way yeah, better. It, that, it's definitely worse than the blue version of, it, of this card for sure. But it, it might see play here and there. There's like a couple crazy combo decks I've seen people build with a bunch of lands. Right which look kind of neat, but I'm not sure how stable they'll be, but I'm definitely going to play them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Brian Gottlieb, like, Oops, all, all lands. landfall yeah. combo special. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a nice one. It's a peak deck building, honestly. It, it's very, yeah, it, it is very cool, and, and the, the ideas behind it are super neat, and I will be playing a couple of games with it on Thursday, so because it's just too cool not to try. Yeah. Uh, my number four is probably definitely much too high. It's like a speculative one. It's uh, Kazul's Fury, which is... This almost made my list. I'm completely sympathetic to this being on you. This is two and an R for an instant. It's just a fling. You sack a creature mm-hmm. as an initial cost to pass it, and does damage to any target equal to the sacrifice creature's power. But on the other side, it's a comically tapped red source. I like this card a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's... Fling is a horrible, horrible card that I have both... Because you have to draw it. Yeah, and I have both lost to Fling more times than I care to admit and killed people with Fling more times than I can count. <laughs> so, like, it's weird, right? Because you never want to play Fling. But when it when you're allowed to, we've seen it recently with Fae of Wishes, you can Fae of Wishes for Fling and then Fling your thing at them, which that's a lot of hoops to jump through for a card that's unplayable, but it, it does finish the game. And Fae of Wishes has a mitigating factor of, you know, you can grab a bunch of other cards so you don't have to always grab Fling. 
this card is similar in that its mitigating factor is it's a land. And I, I play lands in all my magic decks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but... <laughs> well, I didn't say that because I do know about you. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. I think that it is great if you can fit a couple of comes into play tap lands into your deck, even if you're spending like, you know, splitting it between spending spell slots and land slots on that thing. And you wanted to run Claim the Firstborn anyways. This is extra upside for running any sort of threatening effects. And as long as there's something else that you want to do with a fling, then I'm for sure. You can't play fling in a constructed deck, but you can play this card and it will win games that most other magic cards can't win. So, And that's what I like about it. To continue the, the trend of all spell land top fives, <laughs> uh, I have uh, Spikefield Hazard, which is a red mana instant. Spikefield Hazard deals one damage to any target, and if a permanent would dealt damage this way would die that turn, you exile it instead. And on the other side, yeah. it's a land. So, I think I just overlooked this card when I was making my list, probably. Yeah, this I, this card's really good. This is the Uro killer. Yeah. <laughs> you you can tag Uro on the front side and kill it really easily. And it's just got utility in that it's... You never really want to play these, like, small ball removal spell cards that are, like, kind of utility, but you don't get to see it that often. So you mm-hmm. don't usually end up including it. But when the fail state is, uh, I just make my land drop this turn instead, that's, like, pretty good. <laughs> For having a situational yeah. card deck, as we've discussed with for all sure. the other cards on my top five so far. This is one of the spell lands that I can see just kind of making it into basically every single format. Just, it's hard to play these tiny little removal spells, but if the things you want to kill are one toughness things, and they're not, they don't exist in every matchup, like, this is just a great way to put that into your deck in whatever the format is. And it's also... One of the tensions of, like, if there are one drops in the format that you're trying to kill, or two ones in the format you're trying to kill, uh, it's hard to have a lot of removal for those without kind of cannibalizing the rest of your sideboard or your deck. Yeah. Uh, with this card, you get to just include it in your main deck relatively free. Like, come to play tabline is not free, but because it's got other utility and the exile effect, mm-hmm. you kind of make up for it that way, which is really nice. Yeah. Yes. I also want to note that a, a fair number of Scorching Dragonfires have been used to exile Uro on the front side, and this will be used a fair number of times to exile Uro on the front side. What that means is if you have Mystical Dispute in your hand and your opponent plays an Uro, just tag the Uro with the Mystical Dispute because it matters that much. And, like, yes, you are visualizing in your head the counter war you can win with this Mystical Dispute, but none of that matters when you the counter war dumps a bunch of cards into their graveyard and then they play Uro and then you die to the Uro. Well, the, so, the problem like, also with resolving Uro, like letting your opponent resolve Uro and then trying to fight a counter war, is there a card and a mana up on you now? And being a mana up in a counter spell mm-hmm. war is, is game-breaking. Right, right. Because they, they play Mystical Dispute too, so... And the worst thing that happens ever is when you cast the Uro with Mystical Dispute in your hand, put intending to put a blue source into play to leave it open, and your opponent counters yeah. it. And you're just like, oh, yeah. messed this one up. <laughs> Didn't give my opponent any <laughs> respect. <laughs> oh, shoot, they have agency too, and they can choose how to play this game. Yep. Uh, so... 
I just I will just continue making my point of counter the arrow when you get when it makes sense to. I mean, I like obviously mystical disputing the arrow doesn't exile it the way the spike field hazard does. You do need to deal with the arrow at some point later, but it's a similar sort of thing where just like you're dealing with a different part of the arrow, which is the card and the land drop that helps them get to casting the arrow quicker and and just like engage in that game where you want to stop your opponent from doing that somehow my number two is another spell land uh-huh shatter skull smashing i think red just has a really good spell lands this set yeah they're pretty good uh shatter skull smashing is the mythic bolt land so on the other side it's a red source that you can three yourself to enter untapped Mm-hmm. Uh, on the front side, it's a XRR sorcery that deals X damage divided as you choose among up to two target creatures or planeswalkers. And if X is six or more, it does twice that much damage divided as you choose instead. Oh, I can't believe I had to read this card last week and this week. There's so much time on this card. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> but yeah, this is just like not nearly as good as like the Agadim card or the Emiria land. Mm-hmm. but it is because those are kind of like game ending effects after you make your land drop this one right explicitly it relies cannot. on your opponent having stuff that you want to kill in order for you to be able to leverage that part of the card yeah this card can't go face but if you have stuff in play you you're allowed to use this you know to convert all of your mana so far into removal so you can close the door right while being, you know, a relatively free inclusion as an untapped red source. I mean, I, I agree that it's pretty powerful. It is sort of difficult, uh, as I said last time we talked about this card, it's sort of difficult for me to envision the decks that are really maximizing this. Like, it is a relatively low-cost inclusion. If you're a kind of aggressive deck, then the three might not matter to you when you put this into play untapped, which you will do most games if you're playing one drops and two drops and three drops in your deck and then it's kind of hard to pay a big x on it although if you're a landfall deck maybe you have made a lot of land drops and you can do this with x equals six so that that is maybe a possibility so like i'm sure it will do some stuff but it doesn't quite get my wheels turning the way some of the other cards do but you know it is again just a relatively low cost thing that you just put in and it will be fine probably all right now we can talk about like one of my favorite cards in the set as a whole. <laughs> yeah. Which is uh, Magmatic Channeler. Yes. This is one in red for a 1-3 human wizard. As long as there's four or more instant and or sorcery cards in your graveyard, it gets plus three plus one, so it becomes a 4-4. Four, four. And you can tap it and discard a card to exile the top two cards of your library, then choose one of them, and you can play that card this turn. Yeah, I love this thing. Yeah, we, we talked about this last week. I This is a really cool card. It is. It's so cool. And it's still like, pretty good. I, 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 again, still... It's still hard for me to envision like, exactly what kind of decks really want this. But I think mm-hmm. it's just broad enough that you put it in a lot of different decks. Yeah, I agree. It's just a play that you can make on turn two that is going to... If it survives, it's going to smooth out your draws and then eventually turn into a body... And just does a lot of work there. Fills your graveyard up with stuff, which is it, it's weirdly important in just a lot of different decks in a lot of different ways. 
It's also worth noting that if you are counting spell lands as part of your mana base, you can effectively mm-hmm. discard lands to this card to pump it up. Yes. Which is like and it, a pretty big part of it, I think. The mythic ones are relatively low cost. You know, you, you can be running a 26, 28 land deck, and this helps you, you know, the fact, the combination of this being a looter or rummager that lets you discard excess lands and your excess lands have spells on the other sides of them. And this gets pumped by, you know, you, you probably run, if you're a two-color deck, you run like eight, a full eight of the mythic ones because you want to discard them. And that is really cool. Like, I really like putting this card alongside Spike Field Hazard, which is the, the ping double face mm-hmm. card, uh, because, you know, there's like limited windows opportunity to play this top line and a pinger. But if you can just at any point rummage away that card, it's excellent. Yeah. Yeah, and you have two different ways of making that card good when the ping isn't good. You can play it as a land when you don't have Magmatic Channeler, and then when you get Magmatic Channeler online and you don't need more lands, you can discard it. So you can play a bunch of that ping in your deck, which you couldn't run otherwise, and when it's great, it's great, and you have a lot of ways to make it fine when they don't have things you want to tag with it. Yeah, this is a, and also I, I like the art on this card. I wish I had like a, a cool version, but it is it mm-hmm. is pretty nice. It is nice. It's also got super relevant creature typing. It is a human wizard. Human, not super likely to come up with this card based on what it does. Although, you know, you can use it as draw smoothing and whatever. So, uh, but wizard is fantastic typing for this. You know, you can use it for party stuff, but it turns on wizard's lightning in historic and if your creature base is you know gitu lava runner soul scar mage magmatic channeler in your wizard's lightning and uh light up the stage deck like that's a start that's a lot that's a lot of creatures that just get really big by playing the game (laughs) yeah exactly like they all want the same stuff which is you playing burn spells and light up the stage which are good cards so this card does a lot. I'm really excited to play with it. Mm, same. What do you What do you have for me? What's on your list? All right. So my top five. My number five is Shatter Skull Smashing. Sure. I th- this is the the mythic land with the big X spell on the other side. I'm just not super impressed with what the spell actually does, but it is just like so free in a lot of decks that it'll see a lot of play. My number four is Valakut Exploration. This is the two and a red enchantment with landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card for as long as it remains exiled. At the beginning of your end step, if there are cards exiled with Valakut Exploration, put them into their owner's graveyard. Then Valakut Exploration deals that much damage to each opponent. So the more I was thinking about this card, I think it is a pretty bad outpost siege. It doesn't really work very well doing that. It kind of clears stuff but it it doesn't do a great job of that but if you are playing a landfall deck that not only has like a bunch of lands and a bunch of spell lands in it but is trying to leverage ways of getting multiple landfall triggers this is a non-creature thing that you can put into play that makes those pretty powerful and even if you're not a super aggressive deck if you're leveraging more of the value stuff and you're doing if you're doing like azusa stuff or rada stuff or in older formats if you're like in historic if you're doing oracle of moldiah stuff like i could see this like kind of popping off pretty hard so i that appeals to me 
I don't know if that ever ends up becoming good, but there's a ceiling to this that I think is possible to unlock with enough effort. Yeah, Oracle of Moldiah appeals to me because it like works on a couple different axes with that yeah. card where you can play lands off the top right. and then like clear the top card of your library with this. And then clearing the top card of your library by playing a land. Yeah, and then getting another like, one. Possibly flips another land on top of your library for Oracle. To, to and, and then you can play so it, which is that, that's a really cool interaction. But I remain unimpressed with this card. It's like a card I really want ways to get multiple lands into play for not much mana, so you have more selection. Or mm-hmm. can just deal more damage if that's something you're interested in. And right now there's not yep. that many ways to do that. And I feel like most of the mana sinks in the set, because this is kind of like a mana sink, right? It, it gives you cards, and you then use your mana to, to cast those cards. I think a lot of the mana sinks in this format are just going to be the spell cards instead. So yep. it's kind of competing for me there on that axis too. Right. It may just get outmoded by the natural fact that you will have places to put your mana because you have spells on the other side of a lot of right. your lands. Sure. Yep. And and, and makes you... You have fewer, a smaller proportion of lands that you are forced to just put into play when you draw them. Yeah, like when you're not just drawing, you know, Black Cleave Cliffs on turn eight or whatever, and you're instead drawing like the Angel Land or even the green one, you're just much rather cast that than flip for the top card of your library. Right. Like this is a card that it's totally possible that it sees like no play whatsoever. Basically, all of the flip cards, like that is just not the (laughs) case. Like, they're just going to see some of Yeah, we were talking play. about, like, the unplayable minus two, minus oh, blue one, and that was on my top five. Right, exactly. So, right. This is... Uh, a, I, I like the ceiling on this card, but the floor for basically any spell is way worse than the floor for any of the land right. spells. <laughs> my next card is Fireblade Charger. This is red for a 1-1 Goblin Warrior. As long as it's equipped, it has haste, and when it dies, it deals damage equal to its power to any target. I've cast a bunch of Goblin Arsonists, and this is just way better than Goblin Arsonists. Well, it's just better than Goblin Arsonists. I don't know if I'd say it's way better. How often are... I think it's a lot... I think it is a lot How often better. are you pumping its power to where it'll deal more damage? Like, what, what are the effects you can well, imagine... Right, so I don't think equipping it to give it haste is that relevant. Yeah, I don't think that matters very much. But in any deck with goblin lords, anytime this dies, you have a lord in play and this dies and it deals two, that's a lot better than dealing one. Like, that's a pretty big upside there. That's the most common way that this I foresee this being pumped, if it ever does. But, for example, if you are playing this, you need more than just a Coombe Hellhound as a one-drop in the landfall deck. You have an equipment that's an adventuring gear. You start attacking with this as a 3-3 or a 5-5 on your turn. And if they ever have to trade with it, like it's, it deals a huge amount of damage. The the card that I really love with this is Rimrock Knight though. They block this with a bigger creature. You boulder rush it. It trades with that creature. And then you get a bolt. Like that's beautiful for a one drop. That's exactly what you want. All right, I'm actually just sold now. Okay. I love this card. <laughs> <laughs> you, you honestly had me at this Skyclave bow, because I really like that interaction. Mm-hmm. Just honestly, just being able to play this, then play the Skyclave bow, and then a land, and then you get to attack for a bunch yep. is pretty nice. Uh, <laughs> but like being able to... I forgot about Red Rock Knight, yeah. Red Rock Knight, and that's like one of the best red cards. It's a nice so. one. 
Plus, Embercleave, this has a creature... One-drops for Embercleaves are always nice. Right, because your curve up to Embercleave is so much cleaner. Even if they kill something on your turn, you know, it, it just is more likely that you get to cast Embercleave when you have it. And I don't expect to equip this much with Embercleave when I'm casting it. Right. But, you know, it's neat that it does more damage when you Embercleave it. <laughs> One more damage. <laughs> One more damage. Not quite the payoff there, but... I, I think there's enough going on that this is legitimately a good one-drop. Like, way better than a Scorch Spitter. Well, yeah, but most all things are. I know, I know. Yeah. But, like, you were forced into playing Scorch Spitter, you're going to be like, cool, I can play Fireblade Charger in my deck because I'm an aggro yeah. red deck. I'm pretty happy about Fireblade Charger after you explain some different pump effects that I'm, like, pretty into. Yeah, yeah, for sure. My next red card is Akum Hellhound. I just... I want red one drops to be good, so I put them on my list to help give them that energy. That's what I'm doing here. Cheerleader to help bring the red cards to the forefront. Yeah. This is just color shifted step links. Red for an 01 elemental dog. Landfall, it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Possibility for, you know, hooray, we can play super landfall in modern, but mostly just like in standard, this is a one drop that attacks for two a lot. It definitely has the downside of being dead when you are not drawing your lands but you're so much less likely to be not drawing your lands now uh like the floor is higher than when it was step links the ceiling is lower because you're not cracking arid maces and scalding tarns with it you are cracking you're limited to fabled passages for that effect but and, and maybe you play an evolving wilds if like an evolving wilds sure. if the payoff is good enough but yeah this is Kind of better and worse than Step Links mm-hmm. because of the format differences. Yep. Like the old Step Links format had nothing past like three mana, <laughs> basically. Right. But now, since half your lands can be spells if you want them to be, you get to do a lot more with your land drops. If, like, if landfall is good, you can play lands. If it's not, you can just start playing spells instead with your lands, mm-hmm. which I think gives an extra dimension to the landfall deck that the old ones didn't have. Yeah. Yeah. This thing, you sandbag a Fable Passage, you have another Fable Passage, you, and then you cast your Kazool's Fury after this has six power. Like, this has the ability to be flingable, which is kind of nice. And, yeah. but It's kind of a, a loss to me that they didn't name Kazool's Fury, like, something fling. Kazool's Fling. Like, <laughs> just put Fling in the name so we don't have to remember what Kazool's Fury is. Right, right, right. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this is just still just a one-drop. Like, it's not going to do anything, like, super incredibly exciting, except that red desperately needs good one-drops in order to make the aggro decks that I want to be good. So I'm just doing the... I'm doing the secret here, Lee. This is what I'm doing. Making it happen by visualizing Okay. It. All right. I, I've seen that on motivational posters, so... Yeah. It's, it, yeah I hope it works. I mean, it obviously doesn't, but it's only... And if... Oh, man... I've well, had, I'm visualizing Ura bands, so don't tell me that. I've had people like legitimately talk to me about this, about the secret, as though like things get realized. But it's it's hard for me to joke about it because I know there's actual people who believe in it, and I would really like for them to stop. But so the actual secret is to put in work. So I want to see some landfall lists out of you, Chris. I can do that. I'm into that for sure. All right. I, I will be let's do some landfall stuff on thursday i will right. be making some decks to start with fireblade charger and akum hellhound for sure my number one is magmatic channeler 
I love this card. Great card. I think it's super sweet. Beautiful. Is this the design. first card we've agreed on a number one? I think it is. Probably. Yeah, I think it is. No, we, no, 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 we got the, the black right? land. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're right on two of the colors. Yeah, for sure. It, we, it, it is impossible for us to be wrong if we disagree on the number ones. Or if we agree. Yeah, on yeah. One. Exactly. So. so Magmatic Channeler, best red card. Yep. <laughs> uh, moving on to the green cards. My green cards are like all. Fl- oh my god! It, it is my green cards are four flip lands or four double face cards and Lotus Cobra. So just yeah, my, to- my red my red cards were all flip cards <laughs> as well and Magmatic Channeler. Uh, my number five is Tangled Florahedron. This is one in a green for a one one that taps to add a green, and on the other side, it is a land. One of the worst feelings in the world is when your opening hand is like you know a land and multiple mana creatures and you're like well if i get there this means that that doesn't happen to you and it also means you get to continue making land drops as you play your ramp stuff and so like there's a lot of times where it's like i'm kind of low on lands because i'm playing a 20 land deck or 21 land deck and mana creatures because you just can't have that much mana in your deck and that weakens you when you're playing against a removal deck and you like play out your ramp guys and they kill them and you're like but those were kind of my lands this game and this doesn't have that weakness you get to choose and i think that's really powerful i i do too i I like this card a lot i considered it as well i the the most appealing thing to me about this card is like the 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 art or the story behind it or whatever Mm -hmm. because it's a floor hedron was just like a hedrons are all over zendikar but this one has flowers and it's an elemental somehow Mm -hmm. and it's got a lot of colors on it and it's pretty cute but it only taps for a green i'm like what happened here (laughs) what's going on yeah Yeah. but it is like all that aside it is like a pretty nice card yeah it's i'm probably going to be casting a lot of these or playing a lot of these i don't know which side you'll do more often because you're not super excited. It's definitely like the worst possible mana creature. But when you've got a four in your hand, any mana creature on turn two is fantastic. So, And we just lost Paradise Druid too. Right. So having a replacement for that is nice. Which, man, rest in peace. I love casting Paradise Druid. Oh, I loved it too. Especially when I was mutating onto it. It felt really nice then. Mutate a Vigilance creature onto it. Oh well, not too many of those, yeah. sadly. I guess it was it was an aura deck that gave it vigilance, right? Yeah, that's that's where yeah. I've seen that interaction. My number four is Balaged Recovery, two and a green for a sorcery. Return target card from your graveyard to your hand, and on the other side, it's a land. This is kind of the platonic ideal of like good early, good late double face card. Well, its its roles are very clear, right? Because right. it didn't do anything early at all, yeah. <laughs> except for via land. So you know which have to play. And then late in the game, if you've got a graveyard, you could figure out if you want to cast it or if you really want like a sixth or seventh land. Yep, yep. Which I I think you will. You'll be surprised by how often you'll just be like, yeah, I've got cards in my graveyard, but I just want to keep making land drops. But yeah, like sometimes the cards in your graveyard currently are not good, and you've got some good like good stuff to build up to, mm-hmm. whether it's landfall triggers or turn temper symbiosis or something like that yep but i i have this card as well my list is really high actually because i think the utility of a regrowth that is a land drop is Mm -hmm. very like through the roof high i mean i can see this in a a lotus field deck as well like similar to the the look at your top six get an instant or sorcery yeah i kind of think it just goes in green mid-range decks as a whole sure to be honest like because 
we just saw, you know, standards ago when Guilds of Ravnica was coming out, there was such a Golgari fine broker, the industry born, like my graveyard has value sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And those were attached to value cards, like uh, creatures and enchantments. Mm-hmm. This one's not attached to anything valuable like that, but it does help you hit your land drop so you can play the game more often. Yeah. While still enabling those like late game. All right, I'm going to cast this to get my big threat back and cast that and we'll go from there. Right. So it's a little bit of a combination of like the explore part of decks like that with you know it's just like really helping everything be smooth and you can always keep doing stuff and you yeah. you don't stumble early game because you got a lot of lands yeah i, I think it's going to be present in a lot of different types of decks because this this effect is valuable to have but you can ne- you can rarely play a card that only does the spell side of this because it's yeah, so I- bad for many turns in the game i i will say it's kind of like a nostalgia kick I played Heartbeat of Spring combo, which mm. had a Recollect in it. Yeah. Which was just this card without the, without the flip card. <laughs> it didn't have a land on the back. I was just happily casting this card yeah. for three mana. <laughs> and now, you know, several years later, we get, like, such a cool gift. <laughs> yes. This is this card's going to be great. My next card is Kazandu Mammoth. This is one and two green for a 3-3 three, three elephant. Landfall... Uh, It gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. And it's a land on the other side. And I think this might not be quite as far-reaching as Balaged Recovery. But for standard purposes, I think this is really, really good. Yeah, I like this card a lot. It's just the landfall creature Mm -hmm. that I picture. Yeah, and it just helps you pick out the right ratio of landfall creatures to lands to trigger landfall with. It is both. And you can't ask for more than that. That's just very is good. This, is this the only creature on a flip card? I think it might be. No, there's... I mean, we just talked about the mana guy. And there are some... Oh, yeah, Tangle 4, Heedran. There's some limited focused ones. There's, like, a blue one that is, like, a 4-3 and can get flying. And there's, like, a, a red 4-5 for 6. Like Oh, the, and that has the land on the other side. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, those cards are going to be nutty and limited, I think. But, but yeah, so... Despite this not being as unique as I thought it was, uh-huh. <laughs> it is. I, I I do like this card because it's like a curve filler on multiple different axes. Because mm-hmm. if you're interested in landfall stuff, yep. it does that too, while being a land to trigger your other stuff. Yep. And it's not you know three mana for three three is nothing special, especially when it's double costed or double pipped. Mm-hmm. But, but you're three not mana for say a five, no five. to it. Yeah, exactly. That's a pretty good deal. Or three mana for a seven seven. Like that. your landfall deck is going to have ways of getting multiple triggers sometimes. Honestly, I just can't wait to open a hand with like forest and four of these. <laughs> right, you get to just play the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This card is sweet, and it also I there's a reasonable chance that you do play it as a one of an uh, amulet as well. You can oh, sure just throw it in there. You can summoners pack for a land, or it's a threat that like if you have a zoo's out, like they have to deal with it because it is just like a nine nine or whatever all the time, and that's it. It just like gives you a little bit of another plan, and also is a land on one side. Yeah, I'll I'll let the amulet masters determine that. Yeah, but for sure. you know if you tell me I can just pick up a land I've played and turn it into a spell, I'm pretty much in. Yes. Yeah. This is not the main spell for that, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, Sure. My number two is Lotus Cobra. 
one in a green for a 2-1 snake. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you add a mana of any color. I just foresee a lot of applications for this thing. Yep, it was fantastic the last time it was in standard. Yep. Uh, and now that we've lost Paradise Druid, it is the 2-mana two 2-1 two that adds any color, mm-hmm. which is really underrated. Right. Like, comparing Birds of Paradise to Llanowar Elves, mm-hmm. just straight up, was always kind of funny. Ignoring that, like, what, Birds of Paradise is flying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, like, adding a mana of any color versus only adding green just does wonders for all the things you can do. Yep, yep, yep. This lets you play four-color gold cards if you want to do that. I don't know yeah, why you want to do I, something like that. I probably am interested in doing that because, <laughs> you know, I like Nephilim, so... <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, this also, one of the really cute things with it is that it's very good with Winota because it adds mana and attacks as a non-human creature to trigger Winota when you cast her. So that's... I, I can easily see a Naya Winota deck in standard being a thing. But it's just generally going to be a great mana creature that you're going to want to kill. And I'm probably going to aim a lot of the the flip land that has a one damage instant on the one side of it at Lotus Cobras over the course of this coming standard. Yeah, Spike Field Hazard, your Lotus Cobra is going to be a phrase I'm used to. (laughs) Yep, for sure. Um, my number one is Turn Timber Symbiosis. This is four green, green, green for a sorcery. Look at the top seven cards of your library. You may put a creature card from among them onto the battlefield. If that card has converted mana cost three or less, it enters with three additional plus one, plus one counters on it. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I think this will see some amount of play in standard and just do things. It's a land that can turn into a real threat. Whether you hit a giant creature and it's giant or you hit a small creature and you make it really big, like, that is pretty good for being on the other side of a land. But mostly, I think this card is just crazy good in Amulet. I'm right there with you. I certainly definitely see playing standard, because the opportunity yeah. cost is so low. Uh, that said, most of the cards you're trying to like tur- like get with the spell in standard, like the big creatures you put on the battlefield, are pretty much going to be Uro or Omnath, which are right. only 3 and 4 mana, and you can't even use it with Uro. Right. So it's a little bit of a whiff there. Well, Uro becomes a 9-9 for a second and a half as it heads to the graveyard. And then you discontinuity. You've assembled your own 9-9. Solid 13 mana. Okay, I guess it's only a 9 mana. Yeah, it's it's only 9 mana. Come on. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) You get a 4 mana discount for doing it on your turn. Right, perfect. So with that out of the way, I I do really think this card is going to make huge splashes in modern. Yeah. And I think this card with is one of the main reasons why there aren't any like core sky fishers in standard because being able to utilize your spells that you've played early is kind of cheating a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I I'm going to pick up a bunch of these cards as soon as I can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I this card is just the fact that it is an untapped land, so you can play your turn one amulet with it. It's like one of you have to have a certain number of lands in your deck that do that, and this plays that, and it makes green, so it plays your tribe, your Sakura tribe scout as well. It's just like what a perfect card for that deck. Then you on turn two, you play your bounce land and pick it up. And... Yeah, pick it right back up. Yeah, Good if you've got God. more lands, you know. 
Otherwise, you could just wait for like turn four or something when you've got seven. Right, mana. but it's it's just <laughs> sitting there, and whenever you are ready for it, whenever you've got seven mana because of your bounce line, you just pick it up and use it as a likely primeval titan. Yeah, it's the backup, right? Because you always want to be pacting or looking for primeval titan or just have it. Right. But when you don't have it, you've got to you got to get to it because you win the game. And this right. card looks seven deep? How deep does this card look? Seven deep, yeah. Yeah, it, it looks seven deep for people Titan, which is not, you know, a great rate. But putting anything no, on a battlefield gonna for miss a sometimes. land is really good right. value. You're going to miss sometimes, but you are only casting it when you didn't have the Titan or the Pact anyways. And you're you're relatively dense on Titans still at that point because you, ha- you probably haven't drawn one yet when you're doing this. And if you hit, you win. And if you don't hit... You at least cleared seven non-Primeval Titan cards off the top of your deck. I mean, I guess you've cleared the Summoner's Packs as well. But, you know, you put your Dryad into play with three plus one plus one counters on it. And that is a real body. If you have Valica in play, just naturally too, getting a Dryad into play is nice. Right. True. I can't wait the first time someone casts this, looks at the top seven cards, and then puts their one Kazandu Mammoth into play. (laughs) Yeah. Here's my six six. <laughs> yeah, attack for ten each turn. Get him. We got gotta look for my primeval titan. Uh, ten you didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's. What what's your green list look like? Um, it's mostly the same cards. I have okay. roiling regrowth as my number five, which is mm-hmm. the new harrow. It's two and a G for an instant. You sacrifice a land and search your library for up to two basic land cards. Put them on the battlefield tapped and shuffle your library. The, yeah. the difference between this card and Harrow is that uh, this card doesn't have an additional cost, so if it gets countered, you don't lose your land like you do with Harrow. But unlike yeah. Harrow, you don't have your lands untapped after you search them, which is a huge deal, because yeah. that's what makes Harrow so good. But I kind of have high hopes for this card enabling landfall stuff. Like, maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's a ramp card, maybe it isn't, because I think if you're just straight ramping, then Cultivate is going to be a little better at that. Because you, sure. you're going up in cards that way. But if you're pairing this with like Lotus Cobra, Kazandu Mammoth, some of the red cards, like Valcut Exploration, I don't. I still think that card's pretty bad. But if you're starting to get multiple lands into play, I can see doing something with it. Uh, yep. and this is kind of like my speculative card for this. I, I think that's really fair. There are a couple of things going on here. I think the fact that they didn't just give us Harrow is kind of a hint that like, okay, maybe this card does something pretty good because they didn't just give us Harrow, which was in has been in Zendikar's past. Yeah. And is a classic card that a lot of people like a lot. Maybe it was too good. The landfall stuff is balanced around not having fetch lands in standard. So getting extra triggers is quite powerful on a lot of these cards. So I'm pretty interested in the things that let me do that and we may have to reach over to roiling regrowth to get there what if we play our uh what's the red one drop that you convinced me on what's his name the fireblade charger like what if we play fireblade charger with a skyclave pickaxe and attack Mm -hmm. and then we roiling regrowth make it a five five or maybe a seven seven if we've already played land see the thing is if this were harrow then we could make it gigantic, and then we could cast Kazul's Fury because we'd have the mana for it. Sure. Maybe that's what they're stopping us from doing. That that combo was too powerful, so they had to nerf Harrow the only way they knew how. 
Yeah, I mean, I would play that for sure. Like that that's probably like the first deck that I would try to put together if I could do that. And it might still be a deck that works. Yeah, I mean, I think Azul Fury is a, de- a worthwhile inclusion in landfall decks for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, I've got my eye on Roiling Regrowth, but I don't expect like great things out of it right away. It's kind yeah, of a card does, I want to be aware of. It does a very clear thing, which is give you extra landfall triggers. If you are playing a Lotus Cobra Uro deck, this also adds one more card to your graveyard than any ramp other ramp spell does, and that is relevant too. Yeah, and I mentioned Lotus Cobra, even though it's like not really a combo with Roiling Regrowth, because it costs three and gives back two. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you've got multiple Cobras in play, you, you start doing stuff. Yeah. And that just happens sometimes. For sure. Uh, the rest of my list is very, very similar to yours. I've got <laughs> Kazandu Mammoth at number four, which is the, the Landfall Mammoth. I've got Lotus Cobra at number three. Uh, Valaged Recovery, which is the Regrowth at mm-hmm. number two, because I'm, I'm really high on that card. Yeah. And my number one was, of course, Turn Timber Symbiosis, because I think it is so strong in, in Amulet, especially. Yep, yep. Can't blame you. Uh, for Multicolor... You you verged from this for me, right? I did. Yeah, I I'll, I'm them. gonna I'm gonna consolidate mine some. I'm just gonna I'll I'll do mine the same way as yours. Do so. you want me to start while you go ahead and do that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I combined the multicolored artifacts and lands. So my number five is actually Yasharn Implacable Earth, which okay. which is a weird one. Uh, it was kind of a last minute inclusion. It's Yasharn is a 2GW44 legendary elemental boar. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a basic forest and a basic plains, reveal them, and put them in your hand, then shuffle your library. And players can't pay life or sacrifice non land permanents to cast spells or activate abilities. I, I don't know. I just kind of like this card for no real reason. Like, it's kind of like an Omnath Light to me. <laughs> Where we'll talk about Omneth later because it's later on my list, but it's just a four mana value card which you can play alongside other value cards. Probably not in large numbers because it's not that great, but mm-hmm. it gives you some more lands to work with or some stuff to ditch if you're playing Valakut Awakening. It just gives you more cardboard to work with, and yeah. I don't expect its like hate card text to be relevant, especially since it doesn't stop Fable Passage. <laughs> And it's such a like hate card text on a four mana four four is yeah. Like, it's like this weird. This doesn't matter, right? It's mostly for just a a mid range card that puts you closer to late game. While maybe it has a random effect that I don't see right now. That's just like annoying enough to make it included. One really hilarious interaction is if you have Terror of the Peaks in play with this. They can't cast removal spells that target your creatures because it adds paying life as a cost to those spells. That is pretty funny. It also stops uh, Kazul's Fury. <laughs> you just can't cast it. Oh, yeah, you can't fling. <laughs> you can't sacrifice non-land permanents. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every once in a while, that probably will do something weird and probably would be a thing that in paper, like, your opponent would do it and then you'd have to, like, point it out on your creature that they can't do the thing. Well, that sounds like something I would not remember to do. I think if my opponent <laughs> flung me and I, uh, like, 99% of the time I'm just playing this to get lands... My opponent just flings me to kill me. I'm like, that's yep. that sucks. You got it. <laughs> no, no way to repair the game state when you have already picked up your cards and like rolled your play mat up and walked away from the table. So. And then someone taps on my shoulder and goes, "Hey, didn't you have your shard in play?" I'm like, "Yeah, but it didn't do anything." Oh yeah, right. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, he he deserved that one. But yeah, it's it's like 
I put like some speculative cards on this list because mm-hmm. I there's just a lot of new cards and I don't think Yashar will get too much attention anywhere. And I don't think he's fantastic sure. or anything, but he's like a pretty cool pig. He does his thing. Right. Like, I don't think it's that bad. I just don't know what this does. Oh, no, me neither. So somebody will make a deck and it'll be like, oh, yeah, that that makes sense. Like, you do want to draw extra like cardboard that isn't anything in particular but you can use it and then this body does the thing and this text is relevant in weird spots where i didn't think about it and it's like oh it all came together being green white is like a pretty bad color combination for these things (laughs) i'd be more into it if it were red green and just like the base the you know the baseline of it is extra landfall triggers as you go on through the game and it's like oh but i don't know if we're doing this in a I mean, who knows? Maybe a green-white deck with some green landfall stuff, and you have maybe the best just straight-up landfall card in the set is white and in uh, Felidar Retreat. So. Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah, maybe. And Felidar Retreat is a five. Like, it's perfect to cast the turn after this, because you want to go Felidar Retreat, Land. landfall trigger. Yeah, to your best Gideon allies in a card impersonation. Yes. Yeah, this, like, one of the cool things about this set is that it's not... It's nowhere near as powerful as the previous sets that have come before mm-hmm. it. Thankfully, thank God. Yeah. Uh, yes. So in some of these categories, I just put cards on there that I thought like were worth looking at more than that I thought you know were top five in the set material. You know. Yeah, that's that's especially how I handled my like multicolored and colorless section as well. It's just like cards I want to talk about a little. In that vein, I want to talk about number four is Forsaken Monument. Which is a card mm-hmm. I couldn't leave off my list. It's a five mana legendary artifact that gives colorless creatures you control plus two plus two. Whenever you tap any permanent for colorless mana, you add an additional colorless mana. And whenever you cast a colorless spell, you gain two life. So this doesn't work. If you're tapping your permanent already for multiple colorless, you don't get an additional. Like if you tap Urza's Tower for three, you don't get four with this, right? No, you do. Adding... You do. Okay, you do? Yeah, it's... Even though you tapped it for colorless, colorless, colorless? Yeah, the way it's worded is weird, but it's... Okay. It's the way you'd word this for colored lands would be like whenever you tap a mana for mana, for mm-hmm. or for colored mana, mm-hmm. it just checks if you tapped the land for the quality okay. you specified. So sure. if you tap Urza's Tower, it just asks, you... did you produce a colorless? Gotcha. And you did. Okay. So you get four. This I, I don't know where to put this, right? But yeah, I'm probably gonna be building decks with it, <laughs> just because it's got <laughs> a lot of cool lines of text on it. Uh, I've seen yeah. a couple of decks in Pioneer, or, or actually it was Modern, that used this with Tron and a bunch of mana dorks or um, mana rocks because this works with mm-hmm. mana rocks and lands. Yeah, it's great with Mindstone and stuff. Yeah, and it was like a Karn deck, so you could use the Karn board, and you, you just like build your deck from there. There's a lot of different cool yeah. things you can do with artifacts, and this is a another way to like push you over the top. Hey, it makes your Mattery Shapers 5-4s. Which is incredible. Honestly, if I could pay 3 mana for a 5-4 that gained me 2 life, I would be on board. <laughs> yeah, that, I, this card is really cool. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's got like a lot of text and a lot of pretty powerful text. And part of its text is just mana engine text. Like, honestly... Like, it's not... It's not what? No, go ahead. Go These ahead. type of cards are my favorite type of cards in pretty much all of Magic. 
that are like signpost mm-hmm. cards that have really powerful effects and really clear constraints. Like this doesn't do anything unless you're playing really specific sets of cards. Right, you can never put this into your Zendikar Rising limited deck. It's just a zero. But yeah, it's just nothing. It's absolutely garbage. <laughs> but you can start building decks with it and like try to get like there's three different things you can try to take advantage of. It's hard to take advantage of life gain on cast, life gain on cast. Yeah. But but that's that's just a free thing when you're doing the other stuff because your deck's going to have a bunch of colorless spells in it if you're doing either of the other things. Yeah, it keeps you alive while you're doing the other stuff, which is going to be right. enough to win you the game because your spells are essentially cheaper with the extra mana production or bit mm-hmm. or huge and likely both. And ideally both. Yeah. yeah. This I I love cards like this way more than stuff like uh, Uro, which is just kind of, mm-hmm. are you playing blue and green? All right, you're playing Uro now. <laughs> and what's and what's the right, payoff? For sure, you I can't do. lose. <laughs> <laughs> right, because not even every colorless deck wants this thing necessarily. Like, I don't know if it just goes straight into Eldrazi Tron. It, it probably just doesn't, because it's a five mana blank. Yeah, it, it does pump your team twice, but that's not frequently something Eldrazi Tron's looking for. And right. you can't really take advantage of the mana the way you can in other types of decks like Mystic Forge. You'd have to put a lot of Mystic Forge in your deck in order to take advantage of the extra mm-hmm. mana in Eldrazi Tron. And you don't care about life gain at all because you're a battlefield deck. So yeah. Eldrazi Tron, at, as it's built now, not going to be interested in this card. And maybe you could put one in your sideboard because for Karn because you can do that. Sure. But yeah, there's a lot of different ways to go with this card. And I, I, I just like this card. Yeah, I do too. Uh, my number three is Nahiri, Heir of the Ancients. It's a two red and a white for a Nahiri Planeswalker that starts at four loyalty. It's got a plus one of you make a one one white core to- warrior creature token, and you can attach an equipment you control to it. It's minus two is look at the top six cards of your library. You can reveal a warrior or an equipment card from among them, put it into your hand, and the rest on the bottom in a random order. And her minus three is that she deals damage to target creature or player, excuse me, target creature or planeswalker, equal to twice the number of equipment you control. I don't love Nahiri. I don't think she's anything to write home about. She is really good at specific things, which is finding Winota and Emmercleave, she's really good at, <laughs> because you can put her down there, look for her, and you get six cards deep, and the next turn, if you whiff, you can do it again. Just cash in yeah. Nahiri for looks at Winota. And she also mm-hmm. makes bodies for Winota that aren't human. Yep. And sometimes you get random equipment. I'm, I'm not sure. The only really good one's Embercleave. I don't see Maul of the Skyclave being played too much in Winota decks. But if you're in an Ember, mm-hmm. if you're in a like Skyclave Maul type of strategy, maybe consider adding red to it for Nahiri just so you can get the extra value from free equipping and extra bodies. Yeah. I think her ultimate's just not worth talking about. Most of the time, it will be zero damage or a shock. You're better off plussing for a creature. Yeah, I mean, it's not an ultimate, though, right? It's a minus three. It's a three, minus three, yeah. And there's there's a reasonable number of times where it's just going to be like, yeah, the best thing that my Planeswalker activation can do this turn is get that thing off of the battlefield. So, that, like, it'll happen sometimes, because it's not, like, exp- you don't build up to it. It's not good, but it's, like... A thing that will happen sometimes. The, the, the but, worst yeah. thing about it to me is that it's better at picking off Planeswalkers than creatures, right? Because creatures regenerate yeah. their health and Planeswalkers don't. 
Like, you use a Planeswalker, it's easier to kill with damage. When you get into combat with a creature, if it lives, it's not easier to kill. Unless it's specifically your turn and they already know about it, blah, blah, blah. Right. But because the best Planeswalker to, like, finish off is Ugin, you just, like, can't plop this down and finish off Ugin with her because you won't have any equipment in play after Ugin's used this thing. Because they're all colored. Yeah, unless you're playing colorless equi- equipment, which doesn't super exist anymore. Right, so. there's like one, which is limited fodder, and the Zendikar set, right. which you're not going to be playing. For the niche scenario sure. of like, have this on board, cast my Nihiri after they wipe my board with Ugin and get rid of Ugin. <laughs> like that, that... Hey, you might still have your Embercleave. Maybe they didn't minus six the Ugin. Yeah, fair. They, they might. You might still have Embercleave and you might get it. But then they'd have to minus five it, right? Right. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, is just a card. Uh, it's a Planeswalker that pluses to make a creature, so it's always worth looking at, even yeah. if its colors aren't fantastic. My number two is Linvala, Shield of Seagate, our third Linvala card. This is a one white blue for a 3-3 legendary angel wizard with flying. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you have a full party, you choose a permanent non-land permanent, a non-land permanent, an opponent controls, and until your next turn, it can't attack or block, and its activated abilities can't be activated. So it detains a permanent win if you have a full party. And you can sacrifice Linfala to choose Hexproof or Indestructible, and creatures you control gain that ability until end of turn. Mostly, this is just a 3-mana 3-3 of flying that protects your team. Yeah. Yep. If you're ever activating the party bonus, good job. You, you did it, right? <laughs> now you have something worth sacrificing Linvala for to protect. It's fine. I am having trouble like picturing what my 60 cards look like. That like Selfless Spirit does a similar thing. Is cheaper, is smaller, doesn't protect from quite all of the stuff that Linvala does. But is way easier to fit into decks since it's only one color, it's only two mana, and has, you know, a good creature type for Spirits decks as well. Uh, Linvala, I think, is quite a bit clunkier and more awkward to do stuff with. And blue-white decks, it's a little hard for me to picture the blue-white deck that this is going to be particularly good at. want me to give you one where it's way better than Selfless Spirit? Yes. yes. Okay. Sure. Where the legendary creature type is really important and it protects Kethis from anything. Yeah, exactly. That's good. I like that. Yeah, that's it, it, mostly I put it on this list because it's just like a fine rate creature that does a thing in standard. But it does have some niche applications. Kethis is honestly the only one I can think of right now where it's just better sure. than Selfless Spirit because it's got all the relevant text. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, it's neat in that regard. It's just a fine studded body that helps out. Yep, yep. I don't really have much more to say about it other than that. No, but that makes perfect sense to me. Kethis does sound more interesting to me as a place for it than any, like, creature deck that happens to be blue and white. Like, that sounds like a real application for it that I'm excited about. Yeah, because we, in Historic at least, Teferi Time Rover is gone, so... Right, so you don't have the protection anymore. Right. So now you have Linvala instead of Teferi, which is, you don't have to, like, screw your mana base anymore to, like, accommodate sure. for the vacuum Teferi left. And Teferi was very good in that deck, so. Yeah, that makes sense. My number one, though, is a card I really like. It's <laughs> Omnath Locus of Creation. This is an legendary 4-4 elemental for the cost of red, green, white, blue, which is four colors of mana that aren't black. 
Uh, when he enters the battlefield, you draw a card. He is on the he and or it. It. They. When I I would. I would lean towards genderless, when, probably. When Omnath enters the battlefield, draw a card. And whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain four life. If this is the first time the ability is resolved. If it's the second time, you add four mana to your mana pool, which is red, green, white, blue. And if it's the third time, Omnath deals four damage to each opponent and each planeswalker you don't control. So. <laughs> yes. A lot of stuff going on with this card. First off, it's a four-color monstrosity. Uh, base value, it's a four-colored card. Don't have too many of those in standard. Pretty much ever, actually. Not since Guild Pact, I think? It's been a while. It's been a long time. But this one's actually good, unlike all those Nephilim we ignored a long time ago. <laughs> because at base value, it's a 4-mana four 4-4 four that draws a card. Which, just biggest rogue yep. refiner ever. The mana bases in this format can support Omnath. There's a lot of Triomes and a fair number of dual lands, the uh, Pathways, which do work in the this The Pathways format. are really good with it because it's only got one of each cost in it, and the Pathways that we have actually fill in like a lot of the color, because it's four colors, yeah. but you, know, you, you get a bunch of Pathways, and I think that does a good job of getting you to Omnath. Yeah, I think you're only missing the green, blue, and the white, blue ones, right? Of the other ones you've all got, like red, white, red, green, blue, red, red, white. <laughs> like you, you have a lot of pathways for yeah. that. Yeah, you, you, you get a lot of them. Yeah. And the the landfall abilities are strong. The yes. the thing you want to really do with this card is play it on turn five, and then play Fable Passage because then you get mm -hmm. the card off Omnath. You get the four life off the first land. You get the four mana off the second land. So on yeah. turn five, if you go Omnath, Fable Passage, you draw a card off Omnath, you gain four life, and then you get the mana you just spent on Omnath back. Then you can play a five drop. It's a completely free card. It didn't cost you a card. It didn't cost you mana. And if you untap with it and can get the second landfall trigger again, that's you just have... It's like it's it's filling in the Nissa. You generate eight Where mana. if you untap with it... You have so much mana. Yeah, you do have to make two land drop-ups per turn to get the mana, which can be tricky. I think Omnath decks are going to be interested in that hero card I can't remember the name of. Uh, because the third mode is actually pretty strong. The The first two are mostly what you want it for. The four life repeatedly just gives you so much time to do the rest of what your deck's doing. Uh, and Omnath decks are almost always going to have a row. I actually can't picture an Omnath deck that does not play a row. Sure. Burrow just gives you extra land drops and it's the biggest finisher that Omnath builds you towards because Omnath is really good at stalling mm -hmm. out the game it draws, it gains so much life yeah and I don't know what you can ramp out into with Omnath for the 4 mana I'm mostly interested in it as a very large rogue refiner that's essentially free when you get to play it with cards like Fable Passage mm-hmm and, you know, occasionally you'll have an Uro turn with a Fable Passage or maybe play the Harrow sure. and you'll, like, four a Planeswalker or an opponent and it'll be great. But that's yeah. not, like, the draw to the card to me. No, it's just, like, yeah. for It is four colors, but, yeah, it just is so smooth. It just gives you everything back that you put into it and then it's kind of a must-kill or else it's threatening to do some pretty gross stuff. One other card that could be kind of interesting in these decks, which we didn't talk about today... 
Uh, but it's the red card, the one in a red, destroy target land. Its controller searches their library for a basic and puts it into play tapped. And then you draw a card. Mm -hmm. So that can give you an extra landfall trigger. It can also just, like, shoot a missing blue. It'll give you the blue before you hit your Omnath. And, you know, might... It's not a super powerful card in that strategy all on its own, but it might be glue that helps do this stuff and gives you, I need a third landfall trigger this turn because I need to kill their plane. Puts two cards in the graveyard for Uro, which is pretty nice. Right, right. And, I mean, that card also, like, maybe should have made a list because it probably has some application doing different stuff. Nah, too many many spell lands to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, too many spell lands. That, that, that card, though, does hit... It can hit your own flagstones of Chokehair, which is really cute, but... Eh, that's for know, modern we're not people. About that card we have right Boom now. Bust for that. Yeah, yeah true. Alright, so I have consolidated my list down into five. So should we go over my list now? Yeah, let's do your list. Also, maybe we should take this time to, like, shout out the pathways. They're not on our lists, but they're very good. Yeah, yeah. It, it's true. They're very good dual lands that come into play tap, untapped all the time. And they do lean you towards playing, like, single pips in your mana costs, but they're obviously super powerful. And if you're building decks with them, you can kind of treat them as Fabled Passages in terms of, like, color count. Yeah. So, my list here, I kind of curated it to be mostly cards that were not on your list, but, you know, there's just some neat cards to talk about. And they're mostly not super powerful, but they're kind of interesting. I've got Myriad Construct here at number 5. This is a 4-mana, 4-4 artifact creature construct. With Kicker 3, if it was kicked, it enters the battlefield with a plus 1, plus 1 counter on it for each non-basic land your opponents control. And when it becomes a target of a spell, sacrifice it and create a number of 1-1 colorless construct artifact creature tokens equal to its power. So I don't think this is an incredible magic card by any means, but... It does a pretty neat job of being a threat against removal spells that is hard for your opponent to just kill. A kind of obnoxious thing is that it just dies to Elspeth Conqueror's death without, well, without triggering. triggering. That's unfortunate. If you can find an excuse to have ways to target it in your deck, then maybe that's part of it. The thing that I'm actually excited about with this would be combining it with Forsaken Monument. I was going to mention that too. <laughs> If I have both these cards in because, sealed or draft or something, it's going to be really hard for me to resist playing them both. Right. Forsaken Monument pumps its power, and then when it dies, it pumps all of the tokens. And so, I don't know, if you can do stuff, if you got, especially if you have a bunch of lands that make colorless mana and you can do stuff with other colorless spells in standard, I could see doing something cute with that. But it's it's not on a list of priorities for me, certainly. Yeah, for sure. Um, my number four is Verizal, the Split Current. This is X, a blue, and a green for a 0-0. Enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each mana spent to cast it. So this is a full-on, just, it costs the amount that you pay it, for it. It's like Stonecold it. Serpent. Yeah, it's a Stonecold Serpent, right. So if you if you paid blue-green for it, it is a 2-2. Two, two. Uh, when you cast a kick spell, you may remove two plus one, plus one counters from Verizal. If you do copy that spell, you may choose new targets for the copy. So this just feels potentially really powerful to me. I, I saw a deck list with this card that was going really heavy on... It was like a kicker tri- tribal deck. Mm-hmm. One of the really cool parts about this card, other than it being like bigger than your average X spell, is mm-hmm. that it copies permanent cards if you kick them. 
Yeah. So the yeah. new rules for copying spells is that if you copy a permanent spell, you get a it comes into play as a token. So if I copy mm-hmm. I'm blanking on like actual creatures with kicker other than the Seagate Oracle or Seagate uh Stormkeeper. But if you co- if you kick Seagate Stormkeeper for some reason, it comes into play as a co- it comes into play as a token as well. Yeah. And then you get a bunch of copies of whatever spell you cast after that. Yeah, you still have some mana. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean generally just like if you're casting a kick spell, that's you're probably getting you know, you're paying five or six mana or whatever for whatever you're casting, and then you're getting a copy of that. Like, a kicker spell that you paid five or six mana for is generally worth a little less than five or six mana, but you're getting a lot more. Every time you copy a spell with it, you're paying two plus one plus one counters off of this thing, which you paid two mana for. And you're maybe leveraging that for a lot more than that amount of mana later on. I think there's potential. There. This is like a really interesting deck building card. It was on my like list of possibles to put on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't end up doing it because I didn't like fully research all the kicker cards. But it's one of the things on like my to-do list of decks to build for the new format. Right. I mean, even just copying like a kicked into the royal is pretty powerful. Oh yeah. Good old blink of an eye. So I this is a card that I am excited to try to make work. I don't know if it gets there, but like the numbers are right if the other stuff is there. So that's that's why I'm interested in it. My next is Zareth Sand the Trickster. This is three blue-black for a 4-4 four, four Merfolk Rogue with Flash. Two a blue-black, return an unblocked attacking rogue you control to its owner's hand. Put Zareth Sand the Trickster from your hand onto the battlefield tapped at attacking. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you may put target permanent card from that player's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. I'm not super excited about the rogue deck in standard. I know that some people are going to try to make it work. It just generally doesn't seem like what I really want to be doing. But if you have incidental rogues in your deck, then you can do the ninjutsu thing with this guy. If you're just doing flash stuff, this is a really real end of turn threat. And that's where I kind of foresee it being the most damaging is when you counter something and then you have a turn where you don't need to counter anything. You put this into play, you attack with counterspell backup and then put into play whatever you countered on. You know, this is obviously like some magical Christmas land stuff, but you can counter a planeswalker and then put it into play with this thing. And that's really powerful. All right. So unfortunately, it looks like Lee's power has gone out. But at least we have managed to pretty much finish this episode before, you know, the God of Thunder took him down. So the only things that we had to go over still were my number two and my number one in the multicolored and and colorless category. My number two was Zagras Thief of Heartbeats. This is four black red for a four four flying death touch haste. Other creatures you control have death touch. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a planeswalker, destroy that planeswalker, and the spell costs one less for each creature in your party. I don't want to go too deep without Lee here to back me up or make fun of me for what I want to do with this card. And it's probably not playable until we get a black-red duel in standard, but I do want to play it just in a kind of aggressive red and black creature deck that has some number of clerics, rogues, wizards to cheapen it up. And I think it, you know, it can hit pretty hard in a pretty aggressive deck and also makes your guys kill Planeswalkers. And that's a nice little bonus. And bringing it back from the graveyard, it's pretty hard to do with Agadim's Awakening, but it's, you know, totally possible to do with Null Priest of Oblivion 
or with that, I don't even remember what it's called, but the six mana sorcery that brings back two things, but one has to be one of the party creature types. And yeah, so I think that that's a cool card, and hopefully I get to play it. The My number one is very obviously Omnath Locus of Creation. I think this card is busted. But yeah, so that is it for us for this episode. We really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for your time. If you want to find us online, I am tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is tweeting from at Lee McLeo. He'd tell you himself, but, you know, he is busy lighting candles at the moment, I believe. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. We really, really appreciate our patrons. Come sign up and, you know, you can come hang out in the Discord. We do weekly hangouts where we play video games and stuff together. Uh, I think we are playing Among Us for our next one because... You know, that's what the kids do these days. We played Fall Guys and, you know, just spectated on Arena and stuff like that. But yeah, so you can come hang out, get some swag, chat with us in the Discord and submit your Patreon questions. We'd really, really appreciate your support. We are super grateful for all of our patrons. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week. <laughs>